Webster's Dictionary defines the word systemic as fundamental to a predominant social, economic, or political practice. When talking about issues of systemic nature, it's important to understand that they didn't appear overnight and they won't disappear overnight. Over the past hundred years, significant actions have been taken in order to dismantle the systems which subjugate and subdue millions of American citizens. At the same time, significant action has been taken to guarantee that nothing fundamentally changes. On this annual observance, we're going to talk about some of the people who fought against the institutional dehumanization, which remains all too prevalent today. This is Black History Month. <sighs> all right. All right. We did it. That's, what, that's take what, nine. what take is this? Nine. This is take nine, I believe. Good God. We, um, this episode's cursed. Uh, everything that has been possible to go wrong has gone wrong. There's Every a good chance. chance. Th- this is not the first time we've recorded these exact words. Yeah. Take, take nine. I want you to understand. That's not just the cold open anymore. Things have gone horribly we, wrong today. We got up in your Groundhog Day podcast. This is. Oh, would have been amazing. Yeah, this this would have been great. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got up to take seven for the cold opening. One of those yeah. wasn't Chris's fault. Yeah. And then the other two or three, whatever we're up to now, just tech tech problems. Tech problems. Yeah. This I mean, is, this is what we switched. We switched platforms, you know. Chris's Chris microphone kind of died. Yeah, yeah, I had a moment. He had a moment. Um, but what matters is we're here. But uh, Chris, why don't you in, uh, give us give us the introduction? Welcome to Three Two One Binge. I am your host, Chris, followed by my co-host Faison. Hello. And that guy who definitely was a cop in his past life, Tyler. Still not right. Still not right. I think I'm right. And our second ever guest, my girlfriend Tatiana. Hello. Our second ever guest um, on the show. And uh, if you haven't guessed by the cold open, uh, this week we're doing a special for Black History Month. And specifically, we're focusing on the events of the civil rights. So during the uh, 50s to late 60s, specifically, is probably the scope most of the films are set in. And even more specifically, we're talking about three important individuals who had a massive impact on the movement. Yep, that's all about right. That's about right. Yep. <laughs> With all that in mind, Faison, will you take it away? All right. The second time I'm doing this, but it's okay. Uh, our first movie is Selma. We um, takes place in 1964 or 65. Five. 65? Mm. Okay. Uh, we're following uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as he's working on getting just uh, equal rights for people of color, more specifically just uh, being able to vote. And I mean, this movie starts off just like really, really dark. Yeah. Where, I mean, I guess it technically doesn't start off dark because we see Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, accept his Nobel Peace Prize, but then it cuts to these black girls in a Baptist church, and they're just killed by a bomb bombing from the KKK. Yeah, I jumped. Really shocking. I yeah. jumped. Did not expect that. A intense uh, tonal shift there, honestly. Yeah, um, like 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 Faison said, it, it opens first like yeah, just Nobel Peace Prize, Martin Luther King talking to his wife. It's very calm. Doesn't and is uh, there another yeah. scene before that though of Oprah? Or is that after? I think that's I think after. It's after. Oh, it's it directly okay. after. Yeah. Um. So it's very calm for the majority, like the very beginning of the film, and it's juxtaposed immediately by uh, the church bombing. Uh, very intense moment. Yeah. And, and yeah, definitely. I think I think I feel like that's you know it's like a tone setter. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of those moments where you're if you're watching this in the theater, you're kind of your guards almost down from the calmness of the opening sequences, and then you know, just, just shocks you awake. 
Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I could I could see people like leaving the theater after seeing that. Yeah, it is an intense moment. Yeah, Um, because there's nothing to suggest that that's gonna happen. They're just kids walking down the steps talking about like hairstyles. I don't remember what they're talking. It was something completely mundane and normal. Yeah, and then uh, immediately mid sentence and a uh, and a bombing occurs. Um, and you know, as I said in the previous take (laughs) of this, um, I think this is the most intense of the three movies that we're gonna talk about today. Um, I think individually it has the most intense sequences. Um, some of which could definitely be hard to watch for certain viewers. Yeah, uh, I could definitely see that, especially the most intense sequence of this movie, and and arguably one of my favorite sequences in in all three of the films, uh, the bridge scene, in which Martin Luther King was not present for a march over a bridge in the town of Selma, and the protesters were then attacked by uh, the police. Yeah, and it's a, an incredibly intense and uh, painfully brutal scene. Was that the one where um, there was the guy, one of the troopers was on the horse with the whip? Yes, yes, yeah. that is the one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's when also the just, sequence. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, when they're just charging at the um, at the groups of people on when the cops on horseback, just grabbing and beating everybody. Yeah, and they intercut uh, real footage of the Selma um, event uh, interplayed with the the part of the film which I think definitely adds a level of realism to it, which, I mean, just further heightens that intensity. Mm-hmm. I mean, something I've said before on the show, and something I think Selma, both Selma and another movie we're going to talk about, Judas and the Black Messiah, but both of these movies do really well. It's something I've talked about where it's um, it's kind of restraint and then moments of intensity. Yeah, I and think I, that I, they did yeah. it really well in Selma specifically. I mean, I and Judas the Black Messiah, but the, yeah. Selma, Selma, Selma specifically, well. I, the intensity is higher. In some yeah, and that's something I've praised in, in a couple other movies you talked about. I don't remember exactly which, but I, you know that is a, it's a great technique and it's it's very effective. You know, too much of something can dull the overall message, but you know, a mix of mundaneness with intensity it, it really drives the point home. And I think that's there's really very few stronger cases of that than this movie. Yeah, yeah, agree. Um. Plus, I think I, I really like this movie from the perspective of kind of how it portrays Martin Luther King. I feel that when we're taught about Martin Luther King in like first in like what elementary school? I think it was yeah. elementary school yes. for me, right? We all went mm-hmm. to the same. Di- well, three of us here went to the same district. Um, Tyler went to the same elementary school. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I went a couple blocks away. Uh, uh, a couple blocks. I was, away. I was a couple miles away. <laughs> You're more than a several, couple miles. Several miles, just yeah, a bit. A couple dozen or something like that. Who can tell? Um, but uh, I feel like when we're taught about Martin Luther King in school, he is treated as a uh, as a figurehead almost. You know, we don't really learn much about the man that is Martin Luther King. Yeah, you know? it's like a, he's just like kind of a god in a sense. So something like just, that. You just like you learn about his like achievements and all that, but nothing about the actual person. He's he's an he's an infallible idea of a person, and we never really experience him as a person. Truthfully, the closest we ever get to experiencing Martin Luther King as a person is that uh, I'm not sure if you guys watched this. I know Tatiana did that TV animated short that they would show us. My friend Martin. Everybody has seen that. Everybody has seen that. Yeah, that is I think the closest experience to kind of like humanizing Martin Luther King and treating him as more of a person rather than a and a living ideal. You know will, that we really got to see. I will say that I think all three of these movies. This Malcolm X and Judas and the Black Messiah treat the figure. They do that well in, in like oh, yeah. humanizing them, not just making them a like a whole idolized figure. 
yeah, I, I agree. I think um, all three movies are uh, fantastically nuanced in their approach with the civil rights leaders. Um, it's just really good work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, again, like I don't feel like there really are that many pieces of, of work around Martin Luther King that don't that kind of show his human side. Like here it focuses a lot on his relationship with his wife. Yeah. Uh, you know, him writing letters to her while he's he's in what is it, Selma, Alabama, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's in while he's in Selma, Alabama. He's writing letters to his wife and talking to her, telling her how he wants to be there. The FBI is attempting to destroy his 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 marriage um, with tapes of him with other women. Uh, you know, like there's there's more nuance focused on him as a person. He's not just the civil rights leader. He's a man. He can get angry. We see her. He see yep. him angry at her in the prison seat. He's, yeah, he like, can, at one point, he gets imprisoned. Yeah. Yeah. He could choke around half fun. Like, yeah. well, yeah. when they're in the kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He feels like a human being. You know, and I think that's something that a lot of pieces can miss when they're talking about Martin Luther King. And I think that's something that uh, schooling always misses when it comes to Martin Luther King. They never treat him like a person. Yeah, yeah but like, they just, I, mean, like, I don't think they treat anybody like a person. They, <laughs> most of the time it's, in like history. That's yeah, fair. It's either all the goals or all the failures, not the mix of both. There's no I mean, nuance. It's hard to when you only really learn about it like one month a year and you're yeah. reading from a textbook. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would argue education is not nuanced in any way. Public education. Um, it's all and, or nothing. Yeah, it's all or nothing. Uh, very intentionally so. But I guess I'll get into that in a little that's bit. That's a different. Know? That's a, not a podcast rant. <laughs> no, no, no. That is very much going to be a podcast rant because it has to do with Martin Luther King. I'm just saving it. We got to we got to butter everybody. Oh, in my here. God. Buckle up. It's a four hour episode. Yeah. And this is an episode that has civil rights and socialism in it. So, you know me, I'm all in. Uh, <laughs> um. Speaking of Martin Luther King, his portrayal by uh, David Oyelowo. I said that right, Chris? Close enough? Oyelowo. No, I'm not even going <laughs> to. <laughs> Tyler, the white man in the in our podcast here, has decided to uh, oh, yeah. for making oh, any comments. Oyelowo? No, no, no. Oyelowo. Oyelowo. No, no. Oyelowo, Tyler. It... Oyel. No, 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 I'm doing it with sound by sound. I'm doing it. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, no, F- follow me. Follow me. Guitar, right? yes. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, low, oh, yellow, yeah, whoa, oh, yellow, yeah, oh, yellow. Yeah, oh, my god, oh, oh yeah, low. Yeah. I'll just call him by his first yeah. name. Wow. Just call him by his first name. Wow, just call him David Tyler. Call Jesus him David. Christ. David O. Hey, in my defense, Chris, he calls you himself me- David as well. Chris, in it's my perfect. defense, you mess up. Every other actor's name. You know what? <laughs> I didn't mess up this one. And yeah, I but at, at this point, it's like a meme for Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's a meme. I also, I, mess up, I also mess up your guys' names constantly. So. Yeah, so. <laughs> hey, Chris, just, like, we just know he's horrible with names. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very good. I mean, people I mess up my in. name. It's not a problem. Honestly, I'm happy he remembers my name. <laughs> Does he, though? <laughs> I just say, Actually, babe, good point. You know <laughs> it's just safer to say, babe. It is. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. his portrayal of along with the other three actors in uh, portraying Malcolm X and later for Fred Hampton are all really excellently, excellently done. Oh yeah, absolutely. He like people when this movie came out, it was nominated for two Oscars, Best Picture, and I think writing. I forgot the second one, but either way, people were upset that he wasn't nominated, and that's totally understandable i'm he was definitely better than uh, like benedict cumberbatch and uh imitation game yeah definitely that's that's not even comparable wow i didn't i didn't know that was the competition that's kind of bullshit yeah no um, I, I looked up who he like lost out to 
well, like lost out the nomination to. And that that whole year is like a bullshit is a bullshit one. That's fucked. But I mean, one thing I didn't want to say, because, you know, these movies, there is a lot of overlap, both in the stories and uh, the characters who appear in the stories and, and, and you know, in themes. There's a lot of overlap between these films. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit as we try to keep it as structured as possible. Uh, but I do want to say that I think between our, our three leads, between David as um, Martin Luther King, between Malcolm X and between Fred Hampton, I feel that this was the best performance of the three. Yeah. I feel... I, I feel, and I feel this way because, like, I mean, um, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm skipping on the, his name who played uh, Fred Hampton. I hate Daniel Kluwer. Daniel. Yes, yes. Him as, uh, Fred as Fred Hampton is fantastic, right? But I feel that it is, it is very hard to accurately capture how much, how fantastic of a figure and how fantastic of an orator Martin Luther King is. Yeah. And the thing is that when I, when I was watching Selma, it did not feel like I was watching someone attempting to portray Martin Luther King. It really just, I was, I was really completely sold on, on him as, as Martin Luther King. Yeah. Yeah. It was completely seamless to me. Whereas if I watched Malcolm X, I couldn't not see Denzel Washington. Yeah. That, that was that, the biggest that, struggle. That was my me. biggest problem with that movie too. I couldn't, that's fair. I couldn't see anyone other than Denzel Washington there. Probably yeah. because he's such a, a, a well-known you know actor that definitely doesn't help. But I think it ultimately hurt that level of immersion. Um, I think that, you know, um, uh, that Dan that uh, Daniel as Fred Hampton, again, is another thing where I, I fully see him as Fred Hampton. But at the same time, uh, uh, David just gets more to work with. He just gets more content. He gets the speeches. He gets yeah. big, big set pieces as Martin Luther King that I feel like would be hard to nail down for even the the best of the best actors. And he does it perfectly here. Yeah, I think Absolutely fantastic performance. I think I'm the opposite, not opposite way. Uh, I think uh, Daniel's Fred Hampton. Uh, I, I don't, not, not prefer more. I think he portrayed it out of the three. I think his acting was the best. That's off fair. Of, off of, I mean, we'll talk about it later. But the I'm a revolutionary scene alone. Fucking fantastic! Absolutely yeah. fucking fantastic sequence. Um, yeah. So I really like this movie. However, I, I do think there are problems with it. Um. You know, I think that this movie has some weird moments of editing. Very few, but I feel like there's enough that to be noticeable. Um, specifically moments where it kind of like, it just cuts at an awkward point in a conversation and moves away. There's a few scenes here and there that, while I understand their purpose, felt like they could have been trimmed, like having Malcolm X appear in the church. I understand the purpose of that scene and I understand um, kind of setting up the idea of a, a militant opposition uh, which allows Martin's movement to to thrive further, yeah. but that that individual scene doesn't feel very strong within the, the film, and I can under I could see it very easily being cut. Yeah, it felt a little out of place. Yeah, mm -hmm. and also uh, this movie isn't particularly interestingly shot, which I think is probably its biggest problem for me. And I guess that's kind of weird to say as a problem. It's kind of like very average. It's a very averagely shot film. Um, but There's then if you compare it. There's nothing like spectacular about the cinematography, no. Yeah, but like and you compare that, you know, and you kind of can't help it when you've watched all three in a week. You compare that to Judas and the Black Messiah. Gorgeous yeah, film. That's true. Fucking gorgeous. And even yeah. Malcolm X, despite having, in my opinion, quite a few technical problems, uh, there are some shots of Malcolm X that are damn nice. The last the last 30 minutes when he's kind of just walking but not moving, that whole sequence is it, it kind of sticks out to me as this a gorgeous moment. Yeah, there's a um, lot in Malcolm X. I mean, granted, it's a longer movie, so you yeah. should get yeah, more. Yeah, it's a three hours long. <laughs> three and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Martin Luther King's Osama doesn't really get that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Another thing, yeah. I mean, one thing I had a problem with the movie is the casting. <clears throat> Some of the a problem choices. with the casting. Like, I don't know why Oprah, Oprah's in the movie for like, it, she has like one or two scenes, or she might be like in the background most of the time, her character. Yeah, just like two scenes. Yeah, I feel like you could have picked either a lesser known actress or someone unknown, because I think it distracts from the fact, because when she was on screen, it's like, oh, it's Oprah. I know it's Oprah. If it was somebody yeah. else, I would have, I, I don't know. It was weird to see like someone of that caliber play someone so small. I guess that's fair. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't really mind that, that though. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't take me out of it. Um, I, I honestly, I'm I'm pretty bad with faces, as a lot of you guys know. Really? Well, no, actually, though, <laughs> she's she's she felt kind of unrecognizable for me, at least. In okay, the, uh, you know what? It wasn't just me then, because the, the first the first time I saw her, I was like, "Is that is that Oprah?" Um, well, granted, Chris, you don't know people. <laughs> I don't I don't know people, and I'm really bad with faces. Um, so you know what? That's fair. It, it definitely didn't take me out of it, which is quite. Quite nice. I mean, I thought the guy that they picked for um, Lyndon B. Johnson didn't really look like him. And it threw me off for a minute because I was like, who's actually the president? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting one. I mean, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here and give a, a cold take. Fuck Lyndon B. Johnson. Amen. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, fuck Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah, they, they kind of like tried to make it seem like he was like this middleman. But yeah, I, it didn't really feel that way it's at all. It's weird. No, I, I can understand. He didn't seem like a middleman, though, in my opinion. I can understand what Faison's saying. A lot of the movie, they try to keep him as like he's a piece of shit, but he's like he's not as a big a piece of shit as the Alabama mayor guy played from played by that guy who was in Reservoir. Tim Roth. Roth. Um, he's not as big a piece of shit. But when the chips are down and it's just him and Roth talking, you know, he he drops some slurs. So uh, you kind of know where he stands on this on the side of the of where you know you know what I mean. He he he. The movie frames him as a middleman, but at the same time doesn't shy away from framing him as, yeah, he's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, it's funny, like, because when going into, like, if the movie's accurate or not, uh, of course, if it's a historical movie, you want to have accuracy or at least be close to it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what site or what uh, publication did it, but the publication said the movie is, like, 100% accurate or as close to accurate as possible. The government was saying, no way, Lyndon B. Johnson is not this much of an asshole. So I tend to believe that he probably was. Yeah, yeah. no, Lyndon B. Johnson was a pretty big scumbag. Um, yeah, we, 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 we could be here for days. But um, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say. Somebody take up for me. Um, speaking of casting, we got a small role by Lakeith Stan, uh, Stanfield. Uh-huh. I, I love seeing him just in anything. I, so I feel like so he's I feel like he's a bit underrated as well. I don't know. I, like Tatiana said that I was wrong when I said that. She said I was underrated. Wrong. Yeah, I feel like he's underrated. I don't feel like he gets that recognition. Even if he's in a lot of good stuff, he's in you, constantly great roles. I mean, you I don't feel like Atlanta. he gets. Rec- I haven't seen Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, that's like a- I haven't. Seen, <laughs> I haven't seen Atlanta, and I haven't seen. Um, oh God, what's that movie called? Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. I have not seen either yeah. of those two films. Yeah. However, he, I don't feel like he has that public recognition. Because he only has two leading roles. I mean, besides not counting Atlanta, I'm, in, in terms of movies, he's a leading role in Sorry to Bother You, and he's a leading role in uh, Judas. Other than that, Get Out? Know, he's, he's not, not a leading lead. role. He's, not he's a in Get role. Out. Well, he's not a leading role. He's just in it. Yeah. He, he plays a lot of minor roles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's why, because he's been great. Like, he's been great in everything I have seen him in. 
even things that are bad, like Death Note, he is the best part. And I and, just don't feel like he's gotten. And you haven't seen his best roles. So. I haven't seen some of his best roles. I mean, I, he was fantastic in Judas. Yeah, he is. He's yeah. absolutely fantastic. I just, I just feel like he hasn't gotten that level of public recognition yet, unfortunately. Um, but I think you know he he's he's keeps fucking making fantastic. He keeps being in fantastic films and giving fantastic performances. And it, I don't think he's gonna stop anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, he should not. Yeah, he's he's fucking great. Um, I mean, also Tessa Thompson. Speaking of casting roles, she was in this movie briefly. Very briefly. Very briefly. Kind of a waste of a person in my (laughs) Yeah, kind of a waste of Tessa Thompson. That's what I mean. The casting choices to get these bigger stars in these very minuscule roles is weird. It it is. Actually, I can I can understand that now thinking about it. Like it's Tessa Thompson and she's not on screen every second you get the chance. (laughs) She's gonna be here for like five minutes. That's it. But Keith works because this movie was like filmed in twenty like thirteen and he wasn't he wasn't that big big at all at all. Yeah. I guess it's more like a looking back and seeing him there moment. Yeah, which I guess could you say for the same for Tessa though? Uh maybe, maybe. What did she get? Let's let's do some googling. I mean, Ragnarok was twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen. And I don't know what. So she, I guess it could. She be was the in same Creed, thing. but that was twenty fifteen. So it could be the same thing. Could be a similar thing. She was in. She was in. Yeah, a lot of the other things she was in. It looks like they were. Later on, hmm. yeah, from what I'm seeing, yeah, she was there was some like white sm- people, yeah, yeah. white people. She's she in, uh, in Annihilation, that. that's fantastic. That was 16, the 18 Men 18. in Black International, but that's even more recent, and yeah. no one counts that. Nobody counts that. <laughs> Nobody counts that. <laughs> you know, she was having fun in it. I saw it, they were everyone was having a good time. Mm. Either way, yeah, I guess that's fair. She was also kind of, I guess, not as well known back then. Um in comparison to now where she's become a much larger name. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, still, I guess, I guess in that with, the, I guess ugh, looking at it that way, um, it's more that this movie had a lot of talent, a lot of fresh talent that hadn't yet kind of blown up. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Hey, glad to see it. These guys, yeah. these guys end up just constantly giving fantastic performances. So yeah. I mean, it keeps in two scenes and then his one scene is his death and that scene is, that scene is, that scene is brutal so a- again brutal. absolutely brutal it's it's yeah. that poignancy of saving your intense moments yeah he's um, running away from the police during a more or less just, just like a, a protest, protest yeah a protest that's turned into, turned into a, an absolute massacre yeah, yeah. and the cops um, chase him into a diner and straight up be- beat him murder. and then shoot him yeah yeah and then that scene what was it right after where martin luther king comes to talk to the grandfather yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that made me cry so that, much. Yeah, that made me cry. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's one of the I, I actually marked that down as one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's incredibly emotional. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he ends up becoming the grandfather becomes the first um person in his family to legally be allowed to vote. Yeah, I mean, he spent and all his life did, not being able to vote. Yeah, he's he yeah. was like 84 at the time and you know yeah. his grandson who was so much younger than him passes away uh so much so much sooner. It's it's so fucked. And again, it's just a deeply intense moment. Uh, on a completely lighter note that has almost nothing to do with this, I'd like Lakeith Stanfield in, in the MCU at some point. I know that's completely random. <laughs> I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like he'd, he'd, he'd be really, he'd be good as someone. I don't know who, but I kind of really want that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he'll rejoin uh, Daniel Kaluuya. I, I need context to that, that those bundles of Black- words. Daniel Kaluuya is in Black Panther. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. That wouldn't be bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, I just I would just like to see him yet. in something. 
what to be, for him to be in Black Panther, you mean? Or oh, I mean, just him in the MCU in general would be nice. Uh, I kind of because he's mind. black doesn't mean he has to go to Black Panther, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, come on. No, yeah, Tyler. I, I was actually thinking maybe Mr. Fantastic. I know everyone <laughs> wants John Krasnack or whatever his name is. Wait, no, because I said that because I, when I said Black Panther, Chris said, oh, so that would be good. No, 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 no. I was just thinking about like him in the MCU at all. Like, you know what I'm Don't Don't twist don't my word, style. Don't put I, this on it me. is on you, Tyler. You said, oh, that'll be good after I said Black Panther. It's like, oh, okay. I see you're where you're going. Taking for. my words completely out of context. I you think said actually. It. Actually, if I had to pick between two, it'd probably be Silver Surfer or Mr. Fantastic. I think both would be pretty cool. Anyway, wait, wait, yeah, wait. yeah, for Lee Keith. I don't know why. I just think that both of those feel actually probably, yeah, I think either of those actually I can see feel right Surfer. To me. I can see Surfer. I see Mr. Fantastic as well. I know everyone wants John, his name, whatever his name is, but uh, or Glenn Howerton. I that's a name that I don't know, Tyler. Oh, you know, Dennis. Him? <laughs> you for fantastic for we for Richards. I'm kidding. No, he should only ever be the master. And I actually can't remember his name is the master. The villainous version of Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe. It's the only one that makes sense. We are completely off topic. Yeah, Black History yeah. Month. <laughs> this, this is this is Black History Month where we talk about a white guy playing Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, we're a mess. We're a mess. Fantastic. Um yeah, what would you guys say are some of your favorite scenes in the movie that we haven't talked about too much? Like, because we talked about the bridge scene, we talked about the Martin Luther King's discussion with the grandfather, the Keith's death. death. What other sequences kind of stand out to you guys? Um, I think, I think that the- er, uh, early on in the beginning, where they're in front of, I think, what is the uh, the sheriff's or like the police department? I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and they're all like on their knees, but the grandfather can't get down because he's old. Mm-hmm. That, that was one that really stuck out to me just because, I mean, it's the cop was like got pissed off because he was blocking the sidewalk or some bullshit. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, my scene is the one uh, closely after that with uh, Mom of the King and his wife in prison in jail. Mm-hmm. Babe, you? I think, honestly, my favorite scene is when they're at, I'm not sure whose house it is. It's going to be the same one I was about to say. Damn, he stole it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it mostly just it was just very black <laughs> and just like talking about grits and stuff like that it just made me really happy is is your microphone plugged in by the way babe or like set correctly uh why do you ask because it, it sounds fun it sounds a bit weird to, hey you know maybe my ears are going crazy um it sounded yeah. a bit weird for me for a second it sounded slightly off but yeah see so how he gets it i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no, no, maybe it's just me. It just it sounded oddly like like it was coming from your laptop, Mike. Oh, okay. That's yeah, yeah. I would just say check the settings while I ramble for a second. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I also love that sequence as you were talking about. Um, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hard ramble, Tyler. Jesus, I save that for a little bit later. Come on, you know me. I have a method to this. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, but yeah, no, I love the the scene where he's kind of coming in and they're just all getting breakfast and it's him and, and all the other leaders of the of the civil rights movement and they're all just kind of like going around the kitchen and there's like just a lot of yeah, energy just, to just it. Bullshitting, like you yeah, know. just having a good time. It feels it's, good. It feels good. There's a great energy. Where he's like, aren't you on a diet? Like as he's eating. Yeah. Like yeah. that that was I don't know, just hilarious to me. It's humanizing. It's incredibly it's humanizing. humanizing. I, I love that sequence. Um yeah, that was gonna be the one that I mentioned before I was robbed. No, you gotta uh, pick another you one. Asked me. <laughs> okay. You should have known. Okay, I got one. Uh this this endure well, you know, this isn't really a moment. It's a moment. So during the second um like march on the bridge, was that Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I, I wish I knew what you were talking about, but yeah. I don't. There is a, a a a a so we see it twice. Once in like 
the film's version of events and then once in the historical version of events where there's just this white guy kind of walking a little bit behind Martin Luther King. And he looks kind of like young Bernie Sanders in both occasions. And I'm not sure Bernie Sanders marched at Selma. And I'm not sure if that person was supposed to be Bernie Sanders. In the actual footage, you mean? It wasn't in like the movie. No, it was in both. It was in both. In the movie footage, they also had a scrawny white guy who looked like a young Bernie Sanders in the background. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it could be him. Uh, John Carroll Lewis is also portrayed in the movie. Yes, yes, that was. <laughs> uh, babe, did you realize that? Sorry, say that again. Tyler? That John Carroll Lewis is in the movie. Not until the end. <laughs> yeah, she she didn't realize <laughs> that was, was like, supposed to be. It was like John you know Lewis. when they had like the little thing at the end, and it's like this is where this person is, and this is what this person said. I was like, wait, John Lewis. <laughs> That was John Lewis. Yeah, kind of, kind of hit her a bit hard at the end there when she realized. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. There you go. That's my sequence. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't see, I can't see anything about Bernie Sanders in the movie. I couldn't find anything, and I, I can't tell. But I don't if think I'm it was him. Crazy. I, I guess. Am I crazy? I might just look like him, and it might <laughs> supposed <laughs> to be him, but there's nothing to actually confirm it. I guess not. Maybe it, it feels strange. Um. Either way. Oh, I have a second favorite moment. Sorry. Yep. Uh, when he first arrives to Selma, right? And he's like checking into the um into like that hotel thing, right? And then the person comes down and he's like Martin Luther King and he just punches him. <laughs> and then Martin's oh, yeah. walking away. Yeah. And he's like, what did he say? Okay, he said um saying he can't fit and that this place is perfect. I just yeah. love that, and honestly, it reminded me of Chris. Because <laughs> like hundred bits of stuff that you do. <laughs> uh, thanks for comparing me to Martin Luther King. I'll take that one. Uh, don't gas him up like that. <laughs> that was not my intention. Please don't rob a black man. Oh no, <laughs> Chris! How could you, Chris? I'm black Chris is canceled month. officially. <laughs> canceled. Right. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do about? It? <laughs> Um, Chris is not going to be on the show next week. Yeah, next week there's going to just be another person. We're just going to not, not don't acknowledge it though, please. Just let me get canceled with dignity. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, you know, on the on the note of of Martin Luther King, I do want to say I don't think there's really ever been a, an orator like him. You know, a, a speech giver on yeah. his caliber. Like to be at that level is is kind of it's kind of saved for either like it's like for some of the greatest of, of like talkers of all time i mean and there are he very is. few yeah he, he, he <laughs> is the greatest talker of all time like speaker of all time outside of him the only people who, who can really move people at that rate and with that intensity are usually dictators <laughs> so yeah. it's it's kind of um i don't know i just i think it's one of those things that really hit me when i was watching the movie kind of thinking about it like wow he was just in a league absolutely of his own. There, there, there has never and, been a person who can compare to that. Yeah, and the movie just uh, portrays it so well, too. I think, like, um, the fact that they didn't even use his speech just because they couldn't, like, I think that amplifies that as well. Just, like, how well, um, what's his face? David? Is it David? Yeah. Yeah. Um, portrayed it. Just, I, I think, like, the fact that he captured it completely without even using his words is awesome. Yeah, I I agree. I absolutely it, agree. He captures the energy of him without even having to directly quote him, which is uh, shocking. You know, yeah. the ability yeah. to do that. It deeply. Which, by the impressive. way, when is when is uh, Spielberg going to come out with a Martin Luther King 
documentary or something. Like, yeah, it's still you can't weird just buy the rights for the speeches and then never use them. Yeah, hmm. it's still weird when you guys and told me about that 20 minutes ago or however That's, long ago. It was. That is kind of strange. It's, like a, dick, it's a dick move. That's what yeah. that is. There's 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 something there that's like hmm, that's it's like, that's a little sus Spielberg, a little bit. I mean, uh, I I'm assuming he wanted <laughs> he wants to make one eventually, but like, why haven't you done it yet? I mean, he's been on a historical movie binge since like 2011 or something, so it's weird that he bought it in 2009 and didn't do anything with it. Maybe he's been busy making uh, Ready Player One too. Oh god, I forgot he had a few sci-fi movies in there too. Yeah, that book um from the little I have read of it and everything I've seen of it also is very bad. So that'll be fun. Hey, I um, liked the book when I was like 15, 16. Yeah, I'm talking about the second one that recently came out. Oh, okay. I, I didn't yeah, read it. Yeah. It seems messy. I don't I wouldn't bother with the sequel to it. it. It seems like they just made a sequel to make one to make yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not good. Hmm. Um okay, so guys, you know what time it is now? Uh, it's time for me to rant a little bit. Ooh, yes, yes, that's right. Okay, already we're we're only on the first movie. Well, yeah, but this rant this rant specifically specifically about my, um, Martin Luther King. I okay. will again. I will rant again later when it comes to um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. This is gonna um, be our most Chris Filiant episode. This is gonna be our. This we've is, already oh, had one. Like yeah, Wall Street. Well, I was yelling a lot during Wall Street. I got very angry. I mean, we already had one this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I haven't ranted yet. We. It was a mini rant. It counts. Which one? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> what, did, <laughs> what did I say? I don't, all right. I don't. All right. Go on with your rant, Chris. Okay. All right. Um. So I kind of feel. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'll see if you guys agree with me or if you think I'm a crazy person as usual. But I feel that uh, after his death, Martin Luther King has effectively been used by the same system that he fought against for so long as a system, as a a martyr to instill passivity into people. I feel that whenever in, in, in elementary school and forward, whenever we are taught about the civil rights movement, we are always taught first and foremost about Martin Luther King and most importantly, how he accomplished so much through nonviolence. Now, uh, all of you know he here, and all of you have, have actually heard me properly rant in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not a topic I have ever shied away from uh, when I've talked about it. People- Press the to- recording of you? I hope I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I hope not. Uh, people, <laughs> uh, actually genuinely with the amount that I've ranted on this show, it's gotta be a close to on par. Yeah. It's just a little bit less direct at this point mm-hmm. than the thing that me directly saying. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Keep going. Uh, effectively, whenever we're taught about Martin Luther King, we're taught about passivity. We're taught about how he accomplished so much through nonviolence. And uh, especially in elementary school and middle school, they actively try their best to erase and ignore uh, leaders like Malcolm X and Fred Hampton, who accomplished a lot for the civil rights movement and their own individual communities through drastically different means. And the value they had both towards Malcolm X, towards Martin Luther King's own civil rights movement, as well as civil rights as a whole. Um, and I feel that like this is intentional. Direct, it's just poignantly intentional. Uh, they're always going to teach the, the method of, of passivity because it is a method that uh, constitutes the least amount of change. Even in this movie, in, in Selma itself, in the text that we're discussing, we see that Martin Luther King's, his movement acquired as so much success when working with the government because they were critically and deathly afraid 
of the more militant movements. Yeah. Of, they were so scared that more and more people would join Malcolm X that they were willing to try and throw Martin Luther King a bone. That is effectively what we see throughout the movie. And that is what we know happened throughout history. They were that's scared directly, of a militant. As Dirk Lee said in like the first or second scene where he's talking to LBJ. Yeah, and also in the sequence where Martin, where Malcolm X talks to Martin Luther King's wife, mm-hmm. um, and historically this is incredible, this is completely accurate. This is what happens, and it, it there because of that. When watching this movie and then getting to the ending, and the ending has this very, um, it's very happy energy to it, right? You have Lyndon D. Johnson giving this speech about you know giving these people their rights. After five minutes ago, he he threw racial slurs out and yeah. this happy music swelling during the moment. And the, the actual framing of the film is framing this as a, as a win and a positive moment. And then at the end of the movie, the very end, we have Mal- uh, Martin Luther King giving his his speech about equality and about and about civil rights and freedom of man and all of these things. And so much of it feels like uh, it. a lot of it rings hollow for me because so much of what happened then has not fundamentally changed. So many of the systemic issues that existed then still exist now under different names or more yeah. subtly or in drastically different ways. Having this incredibly happy ending to it, uh, it, it, it rings it rings false to me. It rings, well, not hypocritical, but uh, maybe unearned almost, especially when you look at the history and you look five years later, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, throughout the movie, Martin Luther King is reminiscing on the fact that, you're not reminiscing, he is contemplating on the fact that he is going to die. Throughout all three of these movies, the leaders know that they are putting their lives on the line and they are likely going to die by the end of their, their journey here. Yeah. Um, and Martin Luther King experiences that same type of uh, sequence. And he, he, you know, someone says to him, don't you want to live to see the fruits of your labor? Uh, this, this, is, this happened about 60, 70 years ago. Even if Martin Luther King, if we were to take Martin Luther King from then and plop him in now, I mean, honestly, how much of the fruits of his labor is he really going to see? Voter suppression still exists. Redlining still exists. Gerrymandering still exists. Crow laws under different names still exist. Right supremacy still exists. The Klan still exists. All these things he fought against. Nothing has fundamentally changed in America. And I don't know, framing the movie in such a positive light when A, not enough has truly changed. B, uh, the education in America pretty much uses him as a martyr for passiveness and nonviolent change, which I think hurts the movement as a whole. Um, and see the fact that it wasn't until after he died and there were three days of riots across the country that I think it was the sixth civil rights. Uh, uh, I always forget which number it was. One of the major civil rights bills, I think it was the sixth, was only able to get passed after intense rioting from people after his death. But they never ever tell you about that part. Yeah, they always they always conveniently cut out the parts of history that they don't want people to really think too hard about. Um, and because of that, the ending has has a there's there's almost a cynicalness that I get when watching it, uh, when looking at it under the context of history and in the context of of the modern experience of people in the country. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, that's my rant. You know, I think I I just think that the whole situation is incredibly fucked, and it's not really a fault of the movie. You know, like I can't blame the movie for having to end the way it does. But I mean, I also think that they end the movie on a happy note because like that's how for they that were moment. feeling at that time. Sure. And then yeah. in three years, he would like be dead. You, and then obviously in going years, like looking back at it, not not enough has changed. Yeah. But at the, the time, of, they're they're happy because what they were working towards did happen. The way to fix that would be if it's like they had the whole like white text next to the people describing who they were 
uh, instead of making a completely positive ending, there could have been another text that said like he was assassinated and then something about today's standards. I truly don't think there was a way to fix this. I think that it's not the fault of the movie. I don't, I'm not blaming the movie for having to end this way. I agree with what you're saying. Um, it's not the movie's fault. And I don't think that with the story they were telling and the way they were trying to tell it, that there was any real way to change this for me, as specifically as, as a viewer of this film. Hmm. I think that this was effectively something that was going to have to happen when telling a movie about this particular event in such a very specific scope, where at the end of this day, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement won, even if the next day they didn't. That's just going to, the movie is going to be this way by nature of telling that particular story. Judas and the Black Messiah doesn't really have that situation because it's telling a different story at a different scope. So it doesn't have to be afraid to show that it is a more tragic situation than it is a positive one. Whereas this movie kind of has to by its nature. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't hold that again. I don't blame the movie for that. I just think that it's 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 something that I experienced while watching the last 20 or so minutes. So figured it was worth mentioning. But yeah, there you go. That's my rant for now. Right. I'll have another one in maybe 30 minutes. I mean, depend. <laughs> I feel like you're gonna have a different um, rant for each particular movie. What I don't think I last... have one for Malcolm X. It's definitely not a rant for Malcolm X. Yeah, if my only rant might be about the technical issues. I have no real rant for Malcolm X as a film. Uh, uh, on that note, do we want to move on, or uh, is there else? anything else you guys want to say? Um, no, it is a good. This movie was executively produced by Brad Pitt, and that was strange <laughs> to read in the credits. No, but oh my gosh, if you look at his like producer credits on like in IMDb, he's like yeah, he's produced um Moonlight, Kick Ass. He's like you know, <laughs> I Kick Ass too. <laughs> I want to talk about the the rational disconnect between you two, where Tyler's like, went, ah, yes, Moonlight. <laughs> and, you <laughs> to to just... and you go kick, kick ass. ass. <laughs> I just, I like the rational disconnect I, here. See, see, I was going for the Black History movies because he did Moonlight, 12 Years a Slave, uh, Selma. He did something else too. Lego Masters? He did Lego Masters, a TV show, yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt's just signing papers and making money. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what other movies were you going to say, babe? <laughs> it was just kick-ass. There was no follow-up. Okay, okay, but, like, seriously, how wild is it that Brad Pitt was a part of kick-ass? <laughs> Not even just one. Both of them. <laughs> He's part of both. Well, because his company, uh, Plan B Productions produces movies and they produce both of them interesting i'm just looking through he his, has his a production guy. credits for the big short yeah, yeah he oh, yeah. It, so it's okay the tijuana project assassination, assassination by jesse james by the coward robert ford oh wow have you seen that one no no but i mean i know the history a bit about it i think it's very good yeah interesting gotta get around more clearly oh oh oksha oksha oh the Bong uh, yes. Joe movie. The yeah. Bong movie. He also did uh, Minari, the one that came out a few days ago. Yeah, that's... I did Minari as well. Yeah. Ad Astra. Lego Masters. That's a weird one. <laughs> oh, is Will Arnett in that? He's the host. It's been a weird day. It's a it's a reality show. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. a it's a he's hosting and you, the whole point is you build the Lego sculptures. Black History Month, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, on that note, are there anything? Is there anything else you guys want to bring up? What about Lego Masters? Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me your thoughts. Lego Masters episode one. Welcome to the Lego Masters podcast, where we talk about Will Arnett. 
Are you going to do your Batman impression? <laughs> I don't actually have that good of a Batman impression. I have a pretty good Spiegel impression once he gets Lord of the Rings. Oh, God. That'll oh, be God. fun. Yeah. Hey, you guys. Actually, no, you guys never heard it. I, th- I feel like I've heard it before. <laughs> no, we have. I've, I'm we pretty sure. Have. I remember telling you it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not it. bad. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, 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 we'll save that for another week. Um, yeah, any other actual... Oh, they have an instrumental version of House of the Rising Sun. Uh, I just like that song. So that's all I got to say about that. I feel like I know that song, but every time I see... Like, I... Uh, like see the title, I can't think of what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. A house in you. Come on, Tyler. all right. <laughs> on, on that note, Maybe I have. Let, let's let's move on to our next movie, please. <laughs> all right, Tyler, uh, you better intro us up into that next movie. On to our next movie. It is 1992's Malcolm X, directed by Spike Lee. It tells Malcolm X's entire life, entire life from a beginning uh, when he was more or less a con man all the way up into he until he was the civil rights leader we know and his eventual death and it's portrayed by portrayed by Denzel Washington who is as always great in the role yeah um i mean we mentioned that before that Denzel Washington plays Malcolm X in this yeah. i do still think that he has the unfortunate situation of being too recognizable these days yeah although uh, it was I mean, the movie is in the 90s, so looking at it now, it's obvious it's Denzel. Yeah. This was when he was not new. Like, he had movies before. I think he has an Oscar, he had an Oscar already at that time, but he was, like, the big thing then. Yeah. I guess that's fair. It's just one of those things that I guess it kind of... It, it definitely was hard for me to see Malcolm X and not see Denzel when watching this movie. Yeah. yeah that's that's fair. Now, that's, and to, I mean... This is getting slightly off topic. People think he was robbed with the Oscar that year, so. What did he lose to? Al Pacino. In? Son of a Woman. And people think that that win for Al Pacino was basically his, oh, I'm sorry, you never got an Oscar before, so here's it for this one. Okay, yeah, I hadn't heard of that movie, but obviously Al Pacino, he's got a, he's got a, a fucking resume a mile long. And so he won for that movie, so everyone's like, oh, that's the, I'm sorry, it took this long, instead of yeah. giving it to Denzel. That's, that's Lee, that's, um... Joaquin's Phoenix's Joker moment. Yeah, basically. Where the movie's not actually that good, but he got his Oscar because he earned it in everything else he's ever done. Yeah. Um, fair. I, I mean, I, one thing I want to ask, because Tyler, I think you've actually seen other Spike Lee movies, right? I have seen uh, Black Klansman. Uh, I saw a part of Bamboozle for school in that movie I hated. And I think I saw another one. The Five Bloods? Yeah, I saw that from this year. Okay, so my question is... God damn it, kidnapper. <laughs> I'd like it when we, we play back this recording. It sounds perfectly normal, and you all look like assholes. No, I, it's not no, going to. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you just got to get a new wire. <laughs> I am cheap. How about oh, now? God, already back up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Every time you come back, it's like you're in a cave yelling. <laughs> Can you hear me? We're good? Yeah, we're good. We're good. All right. My question to you. Yeah, go. My question to you, Tyler, is since uh, I feel that this movie had a lot of weird issues with its directing and its editing. That's. Is that a thing you've seen in any other Spike Lee movies? That's a common criticism of The Five Bloods. I think think that movie is fine. 
the best part of it is the Delroy Lindo's performance in it. Mm. And there's one scene that's also amazing, but that like beside the point. And Bamboozle, from I've seen parts of that movie because it was just rough. I mean, Faison, you saw parts of that movie too. The uh, one. Michael Rappaport, when he was just saying the N-word. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what yeah. That, that did it, huh? Wow, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't remember the actual movie name, but, you know, <laughs> you yeah, remember that. the things that stick out. Yeah, no, that was the movie. That That's a Spike Lee movie. I don't know okay. what the hell he was doing in that movie. Uh, how about Black Klansman? Black Klansman, out of a movie, is, uh, the Spike Lee movies I saw is his best one. I mean, I haven't, okay. seen, I haven't seen Do the Right Thing, and that's supposed to be both his best movie and just one of the best movies that's so yeah. interesting that like i guess there's such a uh i don't know such a range to, to of quality i mean, I mean it could I depend mean? on if the same editor was on both i don't know who edits his movies because like, like I, I feel like this movie had had deep issues with his directing and editing like like massively so like i also feel like this movie had some, some unfortunate decisions made that like the decisions themselves weren't bad but they did not help the film uh, for example, I think that this movie trying to tell us the entirety of Malcolm X's life was a really bad idea. Yeah, they basically just took the autobiography and just yeah, <laughs> it it was not a good idea. Like, there's a reason that Selma limits its scope to basically a couple of months in Martin Luther King's life because there's too much shit going on for you to do it all justice. <laughs> and this movie kind of screams of that. Like everything before he goes to prison. Because um, Malcolm X goes to prison for Everybody a burglary. Everybody goes to prison. He goes to prison for a burglary um, that he commits. And after like, everything before he goes to prison uh, is a fucking mess, honestly, to me. Felt incredibly messy and disorganized and oddly edited. And there's like moments where, where Malcolm X's character drastically changes between like two different scenes. And there's no catalyst for his yeah, there, why no, he like... behaves differently now. Like when he goes to jail, like it, like two two scenes later, he's like a change completely. Changed well, it's not even not even that. I think even That's before that. No, yeah. I think even I'm thinking before that. Like so, basically, like he first he's with this white girl, and uh, he hooks up with her from like after this uh, at like this club dance. place dance. Yeah, dance. whatever dance place. Yeah, and then later on, he's like in like bed with her, and he's like very distant and cold and and just kind of strange and it's like there's no catalyst for why his behavior suddenly changed like that because the last scene in between that had nothing to do with this like it's just weird and oddly inconsistent and i i don't know what's i it was very strange the first half hour of this movie the first the first the first hour of the movie i mean the first hour is before he's in prison he goes is it the first hour then Okay. The first hour, like literally at that hour point, he's in prison. But okay. he gets sentenced. But during that first hour, all I could think about was the Freddie Gibbs line. That's uh, the Freddie Gibbs line is "Fuck Spike, he mostly showed Malcolm off coke and white whores." <laughs> <laughs> and that entire time, and I haven't seen the movie until now, and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's what he that's meant. why he said that line." <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I think you could have cut most of that hour yeah i think you could you could have cut that hour i think you cut like 90 percent of it i didn't think you did a little bit of establishment but i think you can cut down to maybe like 15 minutes even so you could do the some of the conman nah no you can't do the conman stuff in like flashbacks because um well, well what's west indian archie what's his name yeah i think so yeah yeah you need you need him yeah you can establish that but you can establish and get be finished with that entire thing in like 
25 minutes at, well, at, that if you're pushing it gone. that foot scene could have gone. gone that, that foot scene was not <laughs> no that was integral that was integral to the plot how are you supposed to really get an understanding of the civil rights leader malcolm x unless he's making someone kiss his feet i hate that scene i think i i, I understand the, i think i understand the purpose of it a little bit it was just in terms weird. of like servitude I, yeah i kind of i got it but at the same time i didn't want to get no. it <laughs> um but like it because it's isn't doesn't it uh, cut into like his father being basically run over by a train during like before that scene? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's was, weird that's... because like it kind of like it's trying to say that this is like he's thinking about it and thus like he's making her be like his slave almost kind of vibe. And it's just like it doesn't work because that happened when he was a child, but you don't really know that because they then later it's like later when they flash back to the fact that it was when he was a child. It's just it doesn't work at all. Yeah, it it's doesn't. So bizarre, especially all those flashback sequences. I think are just incredibly strange. Like they kind of cut back and forth with no rhyme and reason. There's no like thematic cohesion between what's happening now and what was happening yeah, then. There's no parallels. Sloppy. It's it's a mess. It's it's kind of a bit of a mess. Um, yeah, it's very weird. And then also you have um. You have like this gun motif that starts off where it's like he keeps like getting fake shot by people and you hear gunshots and you're like, okay, this is going to be kind of like a motif throughout the film. And then at the end of the film, you know, it's going to have that same effect, right? Because yeah. he, he dies, yeah. except they forget it after the second part and then they don't really bring it back or use it ever again. Yeah, <laughs> but they established yeah. it for some reason. They established it. <laughs> I don't know why. God only knows why. Yeah, again, the only completely solid uh, Spike Lee movie I've seen was Black Klansman, and it is a great movie. But I, 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 I really want to know. I really want to know if it's because of the editor, because people have the same complaint for Tarantino's newer movies since his editor died back like a decade ago, I think. And then they say his movies are like too long and have should have stuff cut. So I don't want to have the same problem with him. Some of the, some of them definitely could. Um, I mean, I guess like people, it's it's honestly really interesting that people often forget just how important the editor is to making a film watchable. Yeah. Like the original cut of A New Hope is um, was apparently completely unwatchable. It was utter garbage until George Lucas's wife came in and fixed the movie. Like a good editor can save a movie from being an absolute dumpster fire. It's actually the, the most important part. It's the most film. undervalued as well. It's yeah. either that editor and writers are always the two top ones. Yeah, but no one ever talks. Everyone talks about the writer. No one ever talks about, talks the, about editor. the editor. No one's out here like, man, that editor really, really well, saved that movie. But you can definitely tell when the editor did not save the movie. The only time editing is mentioned is like Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. It's only ever for ed- it's only if the editor is out here doing something real kooky. That's the only <laughs> one fucking pays attention to it. <laughs> the editors out here doing He's some a weird crazy. Yeah, going a little bit. Going a little bit crazy. You got George Miller over here cutting out frames, and people are like, "Oh yeah, the editors. Oh, he's going nuts right now." <laughs> did, he, did he do a line? Uh, I mean, honestly, George Miller while making Mad Max definitely did a line. You're not gonna get more me than one. Yeah. <laughs> not a line. Come on. Yeah, a line a day kept the doctor away. Like this, this man was definitely yeah, making yeah, that he, movie. Yeah, he just took one line and just shouted, "Oh, shiny and chrome." <laughs> Someone was just in the room with him writing down his crazed notes. Uh Mad Max is a good movie. Y'all should watch that. Um yeah, it's really good. Uh also completely not part of this. Um, yeah, but we've been we've been we've been bashing on this movie a little bit. 
Um, however, I do feel like after the first hour, especially the prison sequence, it does start to get a lot better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of gets weird again <laughs> later on. Everything like after he gets out of prison and before he goes to Mecca also kind of feels really messy. Like it's not as blatantly messy and the editing isn't as bad, but the pacing gets like really weird during that time. And like the scope of the movie is Malcolm's whole life, but the scale of the movie feels really small because we very rarely get any real reaction from like society to his yeah, actions. Yeah. Like outside of the scene where he he leads he leads the members of the uh, the Church of Islam Nation of Islam, um, like to the police station, which is a really good sequence. I really like that scene. Yeah. Outside of that scene, we barely get any re- reaction from like the government or local political leaders. It's almost always like other members of the nation of Islam who are reacting, which makes the scale of the movie feel really small. And then it gets really, really good at the end. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it it becomes this weird conflict between two people and it's not like super well-defined conflict. Honestly, it's it's just, it's very strange. But then the last 30 minutes of the movie are kind of fantastic. Just save it. Yeah. They kind of, they some, they somehow managed to save this mess of a movie by having 30 minutes of it be fucking great. (laughs) Yeah. I don't. There, there are weird scenes, like or weird moments where it just it goes from an amazing scene to okay scene to why is this here scene. Most of that's in the first hour, but then like yeah, you said, it's the weird. But I still, uh, I forgot what I was going with this. I, I agree with you, but I don't. I'm not gonna shit on the movie as much as you are. Yeah, I think for me, I found it very jarring, mm. uh, especially for a movie that ends up being three and a half hours. That it feels like if they had just focused on the scope of the movie. They could have made it probably two and a half hours. Yeah, because I think Spike was obviously Spike was going for it. Uh, Malcolm's whole life, showing how he was his bad parts, his good parts, all yeah. that. Instead of doing what the other two movies are doing, which is focus on the person and the movement, this is about the person. Yeah, this I, is I just about that. him. I, I get that. I just think it wasn't the right choice. Ultimately, I think that as a piece of media that we get at the end of it, I think that wasn't the right decision to make. Like. Certain stories work best in certain mediums. If you're writing, if you're writing about a person's full life in a book, that's usually yeah, the best. I'm sure the autobiography is great. Yeah, like it's a good read. That's the that's the best medium to tell this type of story. In a film, it's a lot harder to tell the entirety of a person's life in what normally is a two and a half hour runtime. And even with three and a half hours, it's kind of impossible to get the scale of it correctly, especially when you're trying to talk about someone as influential and important as Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Either things are going to be left out or things are going to be treated weirdly or paced awkwardly or not feel like they're they're like thematically tied to the rest of the events happening like a movie because they're not thematically tied to the rest of the things happening because it's just the events of a man's life. It leads to a very awkward and disjointed viewing experience. I think like the fact that the like first hour is not linear storytelling. I think it's just getting you off on the wrong foot. I yeah. really think if they just kept it linear, it it wouldn't have felt so bad. Yeah. Like at first. You know I agree. I mean? Yeah. If they just started from childhood. Yeah. Like show that scene in the beginning. I think that, that first hour would have been a hundred times better. Yeah, because yeah. they were already using narration. They could have just kept using narration and then like do the whole his house gets burned down. His father dies. His father was a brave man and he loses all of his siblings as they go into childcare. And because they, they kind of do a bit of that in the beginning as well, because mm-hmm. parts of the beginning, he starts talking about how he went to like a boarding school and everything there. They do it in chunks, but then they just keep jumping back and forth. And it's it's just messy. It's just really messy. And like nonlinear storytelling is hard. Like uh, yeah. it, it is a, 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 a objectively hard thing to write. 
like in a way that doesn't hurt the pacing or the makeup of the film. Um, it does not seem like Spike Lee was able to write it well here. No, no, it's yes, definitely not. That, that just reminds me of how bad Westworld season two is, and because they did too much of that. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard only horrible things from you. So, yeah, not 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 a glowing response. But only you. So, <laughs> I've only talked to one person about it. <laughs> so, you know, my opinions might be a bit skewed. Um, I do think though, because you know, like I said, I bashed on the movie, but let, let's talk about some of the positives. I do think that this movie, um, it, it, it does a good job of showing Malcolm as not just good and not just bad. Yeah. It, it's interesting. The first the first hour of the movie, he's kind of just a dick the whole time. He's just a total asshole. He then he goes to prison. Yeah, he, he show him off coke and white was. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's not really great. Um, but then after prison, he becomes a lot more interesting while he's in prison, especially when he goes into a, a debate with uh, the Irish priest. I love that scene. Yeah. That's a fucking yeah, fantastic sequence. Good. And then he gets out of prison and he kind of just, he's just like a cult member. Yeah, that's and, that's what the nation <laughs> Yeah. That's, yeah, like, that's what cult. many people argue the nation of Islam is. Yeah, and like yeah. the movie is completely aware that it is framing him as a cult member because um it's taking a lot of visual shorthand from like things that are feel very clearly um that very clearly create the image of oh this is bad news in a person. Yeah, I head. think actually like uh Spike Lee was legitimately afraid of his life when he put this movie out. I mean because yeah. of the Nation of Islam. They they yes. killed Malcolm X. They protected him. Oh, they protected him? Was- yeah. So for the the uh, making of the movie, the Nation of Islam actually were used as like security. So that- he let them get that close to him, huh? When making this movie. That's yeah. ballsy. <laughs> that is a gutsy play on Spike Lee's part, I gotta say. Yeah, so yeah, during the filming of it, Malcolm X's widow was the consultant, the Fruit of Islam, which is the defense arm, the defense like part of the Nation of Islam, provided security. Oh. That's interesting and like I don't know. I feel like if I was in Spike Lee's position making a movie that was directly Bad mouthing not only the nation of Islam but their prophet Muhammad. Um, I would feel a bit worried about having about hiring their men's with guns to protect me. I mean, have they become less culty? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I I truly haven't followed them. Uh, it, it really, I don't know what they're doing these days. Um, but I would have been scared shitless if I was Spike Lee making this movie because you're he's really he did not paint them in a good light at all. He he made sure no, that he showed them he showed them as deeply cult like. Uh, heavily misogynistic, uh, colorist. Um, yeah, yeah. Like he yeah. did, he did, he did not, he did not pull any punches on his portrayal of Malcolm X in the Nation of Islam. No, I mean um, Muhammad is also portrayed. Well, I mean Muhammad's whole thing with the um, illegitimate children. Yeah, which was true. That was accurate. So I'm guessing yeah. that they were like, okay, we can't bat. You're not bad mouthing it. We know that happened. We don't like that it happened. Yeah, but the framing of the movie also like like there's a scene where Malcolm X is talking at a rally for the Nation of Islam. And the imagery used in that rally is very, very obviously lifted from early Nazi propaganda films in the early 40s. Is it the one in Harlem when he has the whole we've been hoodwinked, we've been bamboozled? Yeah, that's exactly the scene. I think that I think that might be the one. I'm talking about when I I saw that for the first time, side note, this movie has two was the origin of two memes. One of them is popularized by Stephen A. Smith. Yeah. I, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, that's where he got yeah. that from. <laughs> the second one is later on when um, 
I guess he was a former member of the Nation of Islam and is trying to warn uh, Malcolm. And then like they take him away and he just simply says, my brother's starving. I've seen that meme 20 times. I, I don't even know what that one, that one is at all, Tyler. So I don't know why. The or... scene or the meme? Meme. The meme. Oh, no, it's just a clip of it's just uh, somebody's like on Twitter. Someone would be like incredibly like thirsty. And then someone just post that. My OK, oh, actually, okay. no, I have seen that. I have seen that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like during those some of those rallies, specifically this one that he's inside a building and there's like these images of the prophet's face behind him. Um, the imagery yeah. is clearly like it's clearly intentionally meant to be reminiscent of like early World War II Nazi propaganda films, uh, Mao era China communist propaganda imagery. Like it's 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 directly lifted from those those images. You know, that's the shorthand that they're portraying. Yeah. So the framing constantly has them. And at the same time, Malcolm uh, portrayed to be really bad. And Fal- Malcolm doesn't become a good person to like two thirds through the film. Yep, it's it's a very strange decision. Two thirds. You want to give two thirds? I'm gonna say Mecca took place on the the last third. Did, did that joke fly over your head? Yeah. Okay. No. On. Wait. First of all, actually, wait. Hold on. Technically speaking, that would have been if I said three fifths. That's the historical joke that she could have made at me there. Two thirds does not count. I did not miss the joke. Okay. I I the joke joke no joke goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. All right, tracks. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> all right anyway you know we've given this movie a bit of a bad rap just kind of uh kind of bashing on it for a little bit now i mean more you than me so more me than anyone else i admit uh i mean it's not just me i think everyone's kind of agreed that this movie has problems yeah yeah well like just because this movie has problems doesn't mean there's not things i liked about it and it doesn't even mean that i like i hated the movie or anything like that i don't think any of us really hated it no i liked it I liked it well enough. I, I, I it's think just that, I just think the other two are better. That's it. That, that, yeah, that's a pretty that's a straightforward way to put it. Um, I think it's also like once Malcolm X starts becoming less terrible as the movie goes on, you know, like he goes first, he, like we said before, first he's uh, kind of a con man, a criminal, kind of just a dick. Then he becomes a major cult member, and then a kind of a cult leader, and the movie frames him as a villain. Um, once do, we kind of push past that, and he do you, do you think he's a villain? No, no, frames him as a villain. Yeah, do you think the, vis- the visual framing? I, I gotta distinguish that. Um, like, 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 like I was saying before, how the visual framing of the movie, like, it uses shorthand of like dictators and 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 like cults and organizations like that. Okay, okay, yeah, that's what I meant when I said that. Um, but you know, once once we go past that, and once he kind of starts breaking away from the Nation of Islam, and specifically when he goes on his journey to Mecca. Uh, I think the movie definitely kind of gets a shot in the arm. Uh, I can I, see that. Yeah. I mean, I mean did you have something about the whole Mecca that you wanted to say? What? That it's the first non-documentary that was allowed to film there? That's what it was, yes. Yeah. I mean, isn't this technically a documentary? It's a biopic. I mean, Biopics, yeah. Isn't a biopic like a documentary? No, documentary <laughs> no, is real footage. <laughs> it's okay. real footage, not uh, not uh, reacted by somebody else. Oh, okay. But yeah, Spike Lee pushed really hard to get into Mecca. And uh, the original idea was for them to be like, oh, we obviously can't do that. Only Muslims are allowed in there. It's a sacred place. No one has ever filmed in there besides documentaries. Why don't we film in Jersey? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 <laughs> it's like... And then Spike said... Get into this deeply religious, sacred place. What about Joyzy? You know, what do we... Uh... And Spike said, fuck that. We're calling it Mecca. 
What has Mecca got that Jersey doesn't? History, culture. Curious about what a Jersey Mecca would have looked like, though. I know that five star hotels over there. Well, <laughs> when I read that, it was the studio was like, no, like we can do it in Jersey and like build our own thing. I was, I really want to figure it out. It's like, what the hell were you going to build in Jersey? <laughs> what were you going to do? All I'm saying is, is Mecca within commuting distance of New York? I don't think so. All right. I don't think so. So uh, I'm just going to leave that out there. Is your Mecca the Meadowlands? <laughs> you know what? I wanted to just be the Meadowlands on a Sunday, untampered with, unedited. It's just people in the flea market selling shit, and it's just Denzel Washington walking through. That's that's the pilgrimage to Mecca. That's it. That's it right there. I was just picturing the Giants game, but all right. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so Spike lobbied real hard for it. He eventually got it. He himself couldn't go over there to direct. They got a new crew that was mus- all Muslim to go over there to shoot. Somehow Denzel was allowed, even though he obviously isn't, but obviously you can't not have Denzel in it. So they, I, wonder I how guess they got away with that one. I, I think I, they I just know. let let him go, especially because like I'm pretty sure they all like really love Malcolm X there. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean everything that was shown in it wasn't distasteful in any way. No, no, it was all it was all portrayed uh quite well. Um, and it, again, it is like the turning point of the movie where it starts to feel a lot better. Um, you know, like that. Uh, that is to say, all in all, it's a very good portrayal. Uh, it's just, I guess, considering how stri- uh, strict they've been up until this point, it's rather surprising. What, that they allowed him to do it? Yeah, they allowed even, even just Denzel. Maybe because because it was Malcolm X, that's what they let I, I think that's be. really what it was like. That was the reasoning behind it. It makes sense. That makes sense completely. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, yeah. I think but, it's after. I'm sorry, I was talking to you. Yeah, I was gonna say that whole sequence when you do see him just go there, indulge himself in the whole culture, learn from the other people. He even sees other races, including other white people, white Muslims, and that's when he realizes that he can't hate the entire white race. He's like, "Oh, we can't do that." That's when he yeah. starts to push away from the nation of Islam. Yeah, I mean, he, he, his, his, it's interesting. Um, I, I've kind of complained about the scope of this movie being too much for the filmmakers to handle. Uh, but if it does, if, if the scope, if this type of scope does one thing well, it does a great job of showing the change in Malcolm's beliefs over time, starting with kind of like apathy, not really caring about it either way, uh, growing into this kind of radical you know, um, extreme hatred that is that is that was very much born um, from the nation of Islam, and then as it is as it beca- as it kind of becomes his own thing, and he kind of his beliefs become more his and not the nation's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see how much it changes. You know how it, yeah. it, it does feel a lot softer and a lot more like you know he's willing to work with all the other civil rights leaders. He says, you know. As of today, I forget everything that bad that they said about me, and I I pray they forget everything bad I said about them. Um, it, it takes on a completely different tone than what his his previous uh, speeches and everything he said before, and I think the movie portrays that really well. You know, I think that shift is done in a really uh, just a really interesting way to see you know, mm-hmm. that, that dynamic change, and it's it works because there are those distinct catalyst moments. You know, like there's these distinct, uh, you know, these these, these scenes that clearly define the character and change the character and kind of allow for that growth and uh you know that's definitely a big plus uh for the film i say Mm. um yeah and then after that 
after that, there's a couple other pretty good scenes. There's a, a scene where the Nation of Islam attacks his house and sets it on fire. Yeah, the firebombing. Yeah, the firebombing. And it was kind of juxtaposed to the scene from his childhood where his his house had been, um, again, uh, attacked, but in that case by the clan. I want to point out one thing in that scene is in uh, uh, One Night in Miami, the other movie that from this the movie from this past year that also stars Malcolm X. They do that scene again, but in that scene, he's holding an AK, and in this scene, he's carrying two children. I want to know which one's the... I just want to know which one... Like, which one's accurate? Did he run out with an AK, or did he run out with his his kids in hand? It's (laughs) definitely two different flavors, for sure. Yeah. It was one kid in one hand, and the other one. (laughs) Yes. And I just thought it was two kids. <laughs> the AK was also kind of wrapped in swaddling clothes. Yeah, when I saw the it from this movie, Malcolm X, I'm like, I I don't know which one is true. Did he Weren't hold the AK? Or... A gun. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, and when I'm Miami, he runs out obviously with the kids, saying he says the same thing in both, saying go go go, like whatever, mm-hmm. and then he turns around with the gun, looking around to see like who bombed his house. Yeah. I mean, I think like one thing I really like in the scene is there. Uh, there's a scene like when he first realizes the fire, yeah, and he walks into the room, but the cut actually goes to like his father having walked into his room as a child when mm-hmm. the fire was happening. That edit was absolutely seamless. That one, uh, it completely like it kind of almost caught me off guard. It was such a good, a good edit for a movie that has a lot of weird editing. That I- one is like absolutely perfect. It's kind of negated by then the weird cut of his father screaming, I'm a man. <laughs> so... <laughs> a little bit. You're not wrong. A little bit. not wrong. You really can't just cut away from a man screaming out into the void, I'm a man, to just Denzel Washington sitting by the fire. It, 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 it was, yeah. No, you're not, you're not wrong. For every good and interesting, like, directorial choice, there's, like, another, there's, like, two weird ones. Yeah. It's place. Yeah. Like, um, there's another one, uh, even a little bit further towards the movie, where, um, it, it, like, it's supposed to be Malcolm X, like, walking and kind of being, I guess, inside his own head and not really actively paying attention to anything around him. And the way it's shot, it's like, it's like, he, it's like Denzel Washington's not even moving and everything behind him is moving. You know what shot I'm talking about? I like uh, that. Yeah, like, yeah I love that. No, I like that shot. I actually really yeah, like yeah. that shot. I'm saying that's a really good one. Yeah. And then you have just, other weird shit throughout the movie that's just like it's so inconsistent like it has good shots and good moments like that you know well-directed sequences and then it also doesn't so it's just a weird uh it's weirdly uneven movie Hmm. um there's also uh gene carlo esposito he just shows up oh i think i mentioned this before uh like nine hours since we recorded the first hour of this yeah <laughs> it's been a day of tech problems and uh, time delays yeah. so we so. might repeat stuff <laughs> yeah uh yeah give, give us yeah um he's in this that's always fun you know i i really like anything that gene cars G- john carlo esposito yeah anything esposito hey, close is, enough is yeah. <laughs> anything esposito's in is always a good time uh, is he a good time in this though, Chris? Okay, no. Yeah. I just, I mean, like, I like, I like seeing. The you actor. like seeing John Connor? I like seeing the actor. Wait, who did he? Like, did he play the gunman? 
people. Yes. Yeah, he, yes. he was one of the people that shot it. But okay. listen, you know what? I'm going to say, there's not a lot of people who could have pulled off that role the same way he did. Because this is going to, you know, <laughs> let, let me explain. Keep going. Keep Five going. seconds he was on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, like, there, I feel like there's not a lot of actors that can convincingly, like, switch emotions in their face very quickly and make it feel believable. You know? Okay. And in that scene, he, he first time you see him, he picks up the doll that one of Malcolm's children dropped. He, he's smiling and he gives the doll to the kid. And then when Malcolm moves away, his face completely turns back into like a kind of like a glare, right? Mm. And it's a it's a distinct change. But I think that a lot of actors, when they if they were to try and do that, it would come off as campy. Um. However, uh... Carlo has done that type of thing. Not only in this, he's done it in Breaking Bad when he played Gus. He even did it a little bit in The Mandalorian. I think he he does those those like facial expressions and those changes and say he does these drastic changes in facial expressions in a very believable way. It's something I noticed in Breaking Bad the first with first, and then I kind of saw it here. I'm like, yes, that's that 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 makes sense. This is him. Yeah. So I think that he does that that little that little 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 thing. I think he does that very very well. Yeah, I mean um, he's so. in. I mean he's basically only in the movie because he works a lot with Spike, at least in the beginning. Because I know he's in Do the Right Thing. Oh, okay, interesting. I didn't know that. He yeah. did actually, because <laughs> I said that to you. <laughs> I didn't remember that. <laughs> we could have said it also in the past, in on this yeah, podcast. Past, we yeah, don't past know. Twenty four hours. <laughs> we are all. It, it is. It's like twelve thirty to one in the morning for us. We're we're all very deranged. I mean, tired. it's one thirty for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a it's been I a while, think, right? Um, like his actual death scene was a little weird. Little little strange. A little comic. Like I thought, I found it kind of funny, just the way it looked. So not wow. not wow. comical. The, the weird like part the scene from Joker. Malcolm X is dying, and you're laughing. But it was like he like he ran up in what seemed like slow motion almost. And then you get the cut of Malcolm X's face, and then he just gets the gun down. Like, and then I two other guys come out and keep just continuously shoot him. For me, the funniness was kind of in the hands. He kind of had his wrists very limp. And every <laughs> time he got shot, they kind of they kind of jumped up. It's like it a, a horrible very, thing a, to laugh at, but like it was it's a just, very it just strange looked, visual. It looked really it was weird. A strange choice. Just, I can't believe you guys were laughing at. The death of such an important figure. In I'm laughing. How dare both? Wait, 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 wait. How dare both? I, I can't believe During it. Black History Month, Chris. I was laughing at the way they did it in the movie. During yeah. Black History Month, Faison. <laughs> yeah, Faison. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Wait. <laughs> Hold on. Um, it was a it was a weirdly shot moment. I mean, again, not 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 to really to be not to surprise. It was just strangely shot. Yeah, it just looked weird. It looked funny yeah. to me. I mean, there are a lot of times where like something unintentionally looks funny. We've talked about that on the show. Personally, I still find the scene from Under the Skin where the guy pops like a balloon to be absolutely yeah, funny. I don't know how you found <laughs> that funny. Something's wrong with you. Tons, babe, Tons, what, do, what do you think hey, of Tons, that? Did you find that funny? <laughs> Why am I being pulled into this? Because you, because I need you someone also on hate my that side. Movie. Yeah, well, yeah, you, also you guys also like probably that. watched I, it together. We did. I didn't, I didn't say either. I just kind of, you know. Don't need any uh, art house hoes coming at me. I just didn't. Did you like call it. them art house hoes in the same <laughs> sentence? Uh, they can't come at me until like the end of February. So I'm she's got a few more days of protection. But then you're then you're in danger for another twelve months. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm technically I'm still in danger 
in this month, but we like to, we like to have our safe yeah. spaces. Um, um, so did you find that sequence hilarious? And honestly, I knew that it was coming, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> so I didn't okay. want to see anything that was going like... <laughs> it was... It was very, it was very like comical in like Thank absurd way. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. It didn't make me laugh. <laughs> but it was comical. You know, hey, different levels of funny for people. It felt like a Monty Python sketch. It felt like something I'd see. <laughs> yeah, a guy screaming out for help and then popping is really funny. <laughs> Tyler really connected with it. <laughs> he saw the man. He saw the pop and he thought, "Man, wow, that could have been me." <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be dragged underneath something and then stuck there before I decompress. <laughs> it, it was a, it That's was so funny. Likelihood. It was funny. If it's Scarlett Johansson, Tyler, Tyler's a fucking dead man. Hold on, there's a white van outside. Wait, I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, that was off topic. I can't see you any anything else that you guys want to cover in this um, from this? Denzel Washington is really good at looking different ages. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's just Denzel the whole movie, but he manages to look anywhere between twenty to sixty at any given point. I will say that I don't know how many times Spike Lee does this, but the ending montage of uh, like the actual, like actual like footage from um, was that I don't know where I forgot was it. It was Malcolm X and other stuff, right? Malcolm yeah. X, Nelson Mandela, um, as well Wasn't as that... like cutaways to the other stuff around the world. Well, Mandela wasn't forged. That was just him talking in a class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. yeah. But yeah, yeah, he did something similar with uh, the ending of Black Klansman too. Oh, did he? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I still got to see that movie. Um, I mean, I actually really like that montage. Um, I think that was kind of one of those moments that really nailed home the emotion of the ending. You you then you'll like the the what he does in Kleinsman too then. Yeah, I mean, I got supposed to be a much stronger film overall, so I'm pretty excited to watch that. Mm. I like that both Selma and Malcolm X use like footage. Like, I mean, so well, did Judas technically. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Though technically they use it differently. I will give yeah. that. I like technically I do like Selma's better because I do like that it was like integrated. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it just makes those moments hit a lot harder, but I think like for Malcolm X having it come at the end, it just kind of finalizes everything in a way that just lets the film sit with you. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Um, I guess I have like, I have one, I don't, I don't want to keep complaining about <laughs> editing, but I remember like another weird thing where there's a lot of sequences where like, he'll shoot something at one angle, right? Of like, let's say action happening, someone getting hit. Mm-hmm. And then, as the person gets hit, the moment they hit happens, he cuts, and then film. Then it's it's now it's at another angle, but the whole action starts again. So like you have the wind up of the punch to the hit. You would hate bamboozled. He does this like four. He's like five times. It it drives me absolutely crazy. You would hate bamboozled. I saw. I that was the movie I saw. Podso that Spike Lee did, uh-huh. and that movie is cut and edited to shit and that's all i've only seen parts of that movie i skipped around it was I, not good i kind of now want to see bamboos <laughs> um i'm very curious about that now because that this drove me absolutely crazy every time i saw it it was it was it it, it was so i did not like it i did not like that at all i, I did not like it at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. um i think that's the last thing i have to say about it though yeah yeah i, I don't like have it. anything else sad yeah, I probably liked it the most out of all, all of us here. So, oh, actually, watch the Who Killed Malcolm X 
uh, documentary series on Netflix. It's actually really good. Ooh. That's all I have to say. Uh, and on that note, then, I guess we'll be pivoting to the last uh, movie for our Black History Month special. The uh, <clears throat> Judas and the Black Messiah. The 2020 film that just came out actually very recently. 2021. Like, 21, Chris. <laughs> I We're in 2021. What, I don't know what year it is. It's going to take me till 2022 before I get used to this. Um, yeah, that literally came out February 12th. So that's like seven days before we're recording this. Well, a bit more than that. I have no idea what day it is. Um, Technically, it's the 21st right now. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> but it we came out like a week ago. We started recording out. on the 20th. <laughs> this is probably your longest episode. <laughs> yeah, this is our first episode. In terms of recording, boy. Um, yeah, but it is focused on um, the Black Panther Party, specifically their leader, Fred Hampton. And it's focused on that movement as well as the parties being. Man, words are really hard when you're tired. Uh, the party is being infiltrated by a FBI. Not really an agent, a, a man who's been blackmailed by the FBI called O'Neill. I don't remember his first Bill. name. William, no, William O'Neill. William O'Neill, who was infiltrating the Black Panther Party in order to get close to Fred Hampton and eventually uh, facilitating his assassination. I fucking yeah. love this movie. Yeah, really it's good. great. Both Lakeith as uh, O'Neill and uh, Daniel Kluwer as Fred Hampton are amazing. And so Fantastic is Jesse Clemens as the FBI agent. Yeah, you know what? It's... He always just plays malicious white man. Yeah. No matter, even when he he's plays not the it villain, real well though. Apparently, <laughs> apparently he. I mean, no, wait, malicious. Eh, game night. He yeah, but he's still malicious. The whole he feels malicious as hell. The whole movie. He feels, but also, he's not. He's 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 with Christian Dunst. Yes. Interesting. Good for him. Yeah. He, apparently, Kristen. It's Kirsten, it's a, yeah. it is Kristen. Yeah. No, it's actually Kirsten. Yeah, Kirsten. Yeah, we're Kirsten. gonna spend five minutes on pronunciation of this woman's name. I don't know, man. I don't know who named the Kirsten. You can pronounce what David's name. You can pronounce David's name, but not Kirsten. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh, you're Chris can't pronounce Phoebe. Phoebe. It's, can't. I can pronounce it. It's just stupid. It should be say Phoebe. It. it should be Phoebe. It say Phoebe make... Bridges. I can I can say Phoebe Bridges. I can say it. It's just stupid. But if he reads it, it, he'll say it wrong. <laughs> It should be Phoebe. It should be Phoebe. I don't know why but the whites not. are doing this. I don't know what's going on with them with these weird name spellings. It's it's fo- it's it should be Phoebe. Phobia, Phoebe. That's anyway, it. Black History Month. <laughs> Jesse Plemons plays a, mal- a very good malicious white man. I mean, apparently in Fargo he's not he's not, and he and Dunce is in that one too. Oh, season, was- in two, yeah, it's it's in season two. I haven't seen it yet, but that's supposed to be as good as season one. He's definitely the malicious. He's malicious in Breaking Bad. I haven't seen El Camino yet. Um, <laughs> he's he's very fun in El Camino. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, he was in Battleship. I don't remember that movie very well at all. Uh, I don't know. It, I feel like I, I guess I mostly remember him from Game Night, where he plays a very threatening <laughs> police officer who's actually not that threatening. Uh, he, and he, just just appears, so. he just appears. He just appears very concerning. How? Ha- how is that? How is that possibly profitable for Frito Lay? <laughs> that's a good. That's a great movie. We gotta. We gotta talk about that movie sometime. That movie's a blast. Uh, Black History Month. Um, yeah, all the performances in this are absolutely fantastic. Um, and I also, I also feel like uh, this is a story that does not get told very often. 
Yeah. Like, you know, Malcolm X is a nope. story we all know. We all know everything. Not Malcolm X. I'm sorry. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is a story we all know. We, we were all taught that one uh, growing up. Malcolm X less so, but definitely has a lot more exposure. Uh, if you were to if you were to have asked the average person, probably even still now, actually, who Fred Hampton is or was uh, before the release of this movie. And, and again, even now. A lot of people would have no idea. I mean, I legitimately had no idea until I watched they, this movie. Yeah. I, they might know the Black Panther Party, but they're, they're not going to know Fred Hampton. The top answer might be the guy who uh, died on the day, day Jay-Z was born. Really? Because that's a, it's a Jay-Z line. He said, I arrived on the day Fred Hampton died. And then uh, since Jay-Z... Side note, the soundtrack came out for the movie. Soundtrack has got a little flack but for reasons... But Jay-Z's on that soundtrack, and on that soundtrack, he said, um, he repeated the line, I arrived on the day Fred Hampton, ho- wh- uh, I arrived on the day Fred Hampton was, me- hold up, I arrived on the day he was assassinated, had to correct that. Oh, that's a pretty good line. Wait, why did, those, why did the soundtrack, go- well, why Flack? Because uh, Jay-Z, I mean, Fred Hampton would not like Jay-Z as he is a black capitalist. Yeah. You know what, honestly, you make a damn good point. And he doesn't really... <laughs> Like uh, he's not very very vocal on anything. Uh, uh, yeah, well, he kind of give or take, give or take, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, he that it got flat because Jay Z is on it and Jay Z is a black capitalist. I mean, the song's good, but that's not the song's good, but that's not the point. Yeah, it kind of hurts the message of the movie talking about the face of the socialist movement in America. Yeah, I mean, Black Thought's on it, and Black Thought is more in line with Hampton, even though he's not a socialist. And then there's just a bunch of trap artists on it who shouldn't be Were these on songs it. in the movie? No. I mean, one of them was. One of them is a closing track. Okay. Okay. But none of them were, like, within the film itself. Like, the actual... No. Okay. No. Okay. That's what I... No. I, I was it's thinking, not like the I don't Black remember Panther hearing... One. Yeah, I don't it's not like the Black Panther one where there's at least three to four songs in the movie. This one was just the companion piece to it. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that was a thing movies did. It, um, po- it they started doing that because of Black Panther. Really? I mean, it, it's been done before, but because Black Panther was such a big hit and that like paired well with the movie and had songs in it, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of like uh, hip hop, especially, is like, oh, this is coming out. Let's get uh, Future to collect, to make this a- album, and even though it's like half of the time it's not good. Mm-hmm. This one does have some pretty decent songs, even though the politics don't line up. Okay. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I also feel like, or on, on another topic, I guess, I feel like this movie, uh, this seems to be one of the one of the first full, like, proper films done by Shaka King. I think it's his second movie. Yeah, his other movie is Newlyweeds. Um, and it got, like, okay reviews. Yeah, a match made in stoner heaven turns into a love triangle gone awry when Lyle can't decide what matters most, Nina or Mary Jane. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm surprised I got okay reviews. Yeah, it's uh 5.8 on Rotten on Rotten on IMDb. So oh, 5.8. Okay, yeah, I maybe, thought... maybe 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 not. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not yeah. decent. Yeah, and he's done he's done a couple of short films. It looks like, and he did some episodes of People of Earth, High Maintenance, and Shrill. Oh, all high, high maintenance supposed I've to be never heard of. High maintenance supposed Shrill's to be supposed to be really good as well. Yeah, actually, is I hadn't heard any of those, but so this seems to be his first. Like, I guess, uh, uh, you know. Second film, movie and then big first great real movie. Hit. Yeah. And uh honestly, fucking great. Great. It's a hit. You know, I mean like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> debut. I'd say great directorial debut, but a great, great second step, I guess. Then um this movie's yeah. fucking gorgeous. 
Yeah. This movie is is just a treat to watch visually. Uh, there are some absolutely fantastic shots in this film. The lighting, uh, especially when people are driving around, the reflection of, of neon signs and the color. The long shots, even though they're like, mm-hmm. the long shots being like at most like 10 seconds, they're really used well, especially during the shootout scene at the uh, base. Yeah, that's a really yep. good one. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's truly like just visually, or not even visually. Like in in every technical aspect, this is the best of the three, by a very large margin. Yeah, Selma Selma is competently made and well edited, um, but uninspiring visually speaking. Yeah, uh, it doesn't have any super unique shots. It's it's kind of all shot in a rather not overly bland but not interesting way. Um, and we've talked at length about Malcolm X, whereas this movie is like just genuinely just gorgeous you know like there's just uh and it's it's not like you know it doesn't have to be these crazy shots either it's just some simple the way the certain like signs reflect in the lights of like the or in the windows of the cars when uh william o'neill is kind of driving the black panther gang around you know mm-hmm. like there's just moments like that that just uh, they provide atmosphere and aesthetic in a really strong way or just the entirety of the i'm a revolutionary scene the entirety of the i revolution i'm a revolution scene uh revolutionary scene is fantastic that is one of the highlights of the whole film absolutely in amazing movies. moment in all yeah. three movies yeah it's one yeah. of the best scenes in between all three films uh absolutely love it i mean that that's here's the thing right um and i think the thing that kind of makes that speech and that sequence really good uh martin luther king was a great orator right a great speaker um malcolm x from what i've seen in in the clips used and in uh in everything i've seen of him he He's, he, he can speak, but it's more a charisma. He has yeah. a uh, a real charm to him, you know? Like, there's... Even just, like, when he smiles, there's a real energy to him that's just incredibly charismatic. You can't really look away. It's not necessarily that he he's a speaker in the same way that Martin Luther King is, as much as he holds your attention through charisma. And I feel that um, Fred Hampton falls somewhere in the middle in that he is a fantastic speaker, um, and he does do fantastic speeches in its own right, like the I Am a Revolutionary, but he also has an extremely strong presence to him, you know? Just, just yeah, like uh, that energy. Yeah, it's not even, it doesn't even have to be necessarily charisma specifically, you know? I guess the word, you know, you could, I would say that charisma and presence have a kind of similarity to them, but there's distinctions. Um, you know, it's just a, yeah, there's a, you, you, you kind of, you, in the same way Malcolm X, you can't look away from him, you know? Yeah. You can't ignore him, you can't kind of turn an ear away from what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Even just in the sequences where we see um, kind of him walking down the street and telling people about the the breakfast initiative that they're doing for the kids in Chicago, uh, there, there's just a real you know there's a conviction to everything he's saying that makes it hard to look away from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know I think that's just really interesting that like he kind of falls in the middle between these two, I guess types of speakers, so to speak. Again, just yeah. an, I, I think that's part of what makes that scene so great. And in you know historically that speech is so great. The speech is great. The whole, I mean, the, besides him speaking, which is obviously one of the highlights because that's the only dialogue in that part. O'Neill is chanting back with him, but it also sees his handler Jesse Plemons there just watching him. Yeah. yeah. I mean that that seems great because that because just like it's kind of the first moments, one of the first scenes really where we get to see uh, O'Neill really feels like he's. You know, or it feels that like O'Neill has, yeah, become a part of it. Like he, 
he really does believe in a lot of what what Fred Fred Hampton's doing here. Um, and at the same time, he's still the Judas in their midst. You know, he's still he's still the rat who's who's feeding information to the FBI. But it definitely starts to feel at that point that at least a part of him is a Black Panther. You know, yeah, I I thought they did that struggle like extremely well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I think this movie does a great job of treating the majority of its characters as very nuanced, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, even even the 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 FBI agent, the handler, what's his name? Roy Mitchell. Roy Mitchell. I always forget that guy's name. Um, Roy Mitchell, I think, is also done in a pretty nuanced way where, like, we have the, like, uh, Hoover, who is a distinctly terrible, absolutely shitty person, right? Played by our favorite actor, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, <laughs> yeah. who just shows up and everything. Showed up six times on this show so far. In the span of, like, four episodes. It's been really weird. He just keeps showing up. This is, like, the third week in a row talking about something with Martin Sheen in him. Um, but, yeah, so, like, Hoover is is distinctly a massive fucking piece of shit, right? Whereas Roy Mitchell is um he he he's he's kind of cautious in that way. He doesn't he doesn't he's not blatantly racist uh when he's talking to O'Neill or even to his just his superiors, you know? He he kind of the movie kind of presents him as sympathetic. Sympathetic he's just to following he's his he main sees, point is that he's following the law. Yeah, he's just a guy yeah. following the law. He's a man following orders, right? Um, and at the same time, even though he's portrayed sympathetically, the movie makes sure through its framing and everything else to show you that he's still a terrible fucking person. Yeah, he's following a, orders or not, he's, he's an a absolute fucking monster. snake. Yeah, he's a, snake. a pig. There's yeah. one point in the movie that's he when uh, Hoover is talking to him. Um, in his office, he's talking about his kids, and then he asks about what would happen if his daughter were to come home with a black person. He obviously doesn't use the term black person. Yeah. Yeah. And that point is when uh, Mitchell kind of realizes that it's not just about like good or wrong, it's just Hoover wants this to be shut down. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, he still goes through with it. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have, he doesn't, there's no like, he doesn't like have a, deeply internal struggle with it but he but he, 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 he has so, he has a realization that it's not just if it's right or wrong it's just we need to shut this down because because we think it's wrong yeah um yeah 100 and i mean that's kind of the nuance of even like a character like him that's his level of nuance and uh for for william o'neill you know it's it's kind of that but tenfold this is a 17 year old kid who is being blackmailed by the fbi who's being uh, given money, you know, for, for the information he's giving out, who's seeing this given, guy like, these dinners himself. and all that stuff, like, yeah. stuff he's yeah. never had. Well, he's originally, never had. originally, it's because he stole a car and was yeah. impersonating well, yeah, FBI by the FBI agent. Yeah. yeah. And then they carve him, and he's like, all right, you can either go to prison for, what was that, 11 years or, yeah, or six years, something like that. Something like that. It was either you either do that or you help us out with this. And then every every time he's like, "All right, I gave you enough information. Can I leave?" It's like, "No, we still, nope. I still like if you leave, I will hunt you down." Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. Even though like, even though at the end of the day, uh, William O'Neill is a bad person, you know, with what he's did here, what he did here. Yeah, there's there's you can't nuances. help but feel bad for him. Yeah, there's yeah. sympathy and there's nuances, you know, and uh, I think that can be something that's hard for for certain movies for a lot of movies to do with characters like this it can be very hard to paint a, a gray picture of a person mm. without it feeling uh you know a lot of times characters will fall into an almost cartoonish level of good or bad yeah and this movie does not fall into that uh that rut whatsoever 
Mm. It allows all of it. It allows pretty much all of his characters to have complexities and nuances and feel three dimensional. Um, and that's just that's just the benefit of that's just like it, it's the backbone of the strong writing of this movie. You know, it's it's well written. The characters are well defined and well written. They're incredibly well performed. Um, it, you know, on a technical level, this movie has not really many flaws. I can't think of things this movie did wrong. Mm. You know, I, I'm not really nothing really comes to mind to me of like things that I feel like this movie did wrong. The only thing that I can think of is something that um that Tati mentioned to me was for the uh the last supper scene so to speak the final dinner mm. there could have been maybe more emphasis put on i mean actually do you want to explain it because then you were the one telling me about it um it was basically um uh, right before obviously the raid on uh fred hampton's apartment um you know they kind of have a, a last supper right and um from what i was reading um, O'Neill actually like made the meal that they ate that um, that night, and um, obviously you kind of have the um, moment where he's like to Fred, he's like, um, "Can I get you another drink?" Basically, you know, and that's where like the um, you know suspicion that he was kind of uh, he was drugged, yeah, um, comes in kind of thing, and even though O'Neill technically denies that he drugged Fred. Um, but I feel like there could have been a little bit more emphasis on that being like the last meal. I just feel like it kind of just passes by without really giving something that could have been like really feel more significant is how I feel about it. Yeah, I don't, I get you. and I kind of, I feel like the, um, even like the scene where he is like, can I get you another drink kind of thing? I feel like honestly, you blink and you miss it. Like I, I didn't really feel like it gave it enough, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I partially agree with you. I definitely agree with you about the dinner scene, especially for a movie literally called Judas and the Black Messiah. That is literally the Last Supper. You yeah, it's I mean? perfect moment for that. It, it's a very, it's a very easy parallel that could allow for a lot of whether interesting things visually or in the writing. There's a lot of opportunity there, and I agree that it didn't feel like they capitalized it enough. As for the, um, can I get you another drink scene? I think I'm kind of I, I kind of like that it was such a blink and you miss it thing. Uh, it kind of makes it feel almost like a like like a split decision. Like he still didn't know what he really wanted to do at this point, and then it was just as quick as want me to get you another drink. You know, mm. I kind of yeah. like that about it. I think it works in my opinion. Uh, but I do agree that the scene as a whole, I would have actually really preferred them to kind of dig a little deeper with it. So yeah, there's probably the only issue I can truly think about with. Actually, no, I can think about one more, one other issue I have with this movie, and it's not really an issue. It's that um, uh, let me see, hold on a second, let me get. So I'm terrible with names, and I don't want to be. Okay, well, Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Kaluuya. He is 31, right? But I would yeah, say he looks maybe even a little bit older than that. I mean, I would- yeah, you can kind of pin the ages to be obviously they're not 17 and they're not 21. 21. Like that's the yeah. thing. I, I feel like a lot of the tragedy that comes from this story, not necessarily the film, but the story itself is how young all the pieces of play were. Right? Yeah. Like how young yeah. O'Neill was. He was 17 when he was being pretty much screwed over by the FBI. Um, Fred Hampton was 21 when he died. You know? Yeah, we're like, all like older than him. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much everyone in this room has outlived Fred Hampton. And that's incredibly fucked up. And I think like, especially it's at the end of the movie 
that they really tell you his age. And um, they have some text coming over, like some sequences and, at the end of the film, and they say he was 21 when he died. But when you see and, the footage, when you see the footage of him actually speaking, he doesn't seem 21 at all. No, he that's his presence. It, again, yeah, and I think that's the presence. I think that's the. the, the so I think that kind of works for Kalua because you wouldn't have guessed that the kid, if you, I mean, if you were back then and were, were Fred Hampton, you wouldn't guess that the kid's 21. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, I think that Kalua just looks, even for the, even for that, just too much older to me. Cause like I did, I only just looked up his age. I wanted to see. Uh, I would have honestly guessed he was even a bit older. Hmm. I, I would have guessed he might have been in his early 40s, actually, maybe late 30s. He's like, you know, 38, 39. I, I just want to put that on. I want to pin that on you. On a I don't you know. Not I'm very bad Asian with ages. Faces. I'm very bad with ages. Faces. Just it's very, it's just very bad. <laughs> I don't know. He feels older than 31. Maybe I don't know if people in their 30s. No. Look like. No. You yeah. You, that's you. That's you. That's he looks you. like like probably like late 20s. Yeah. yeah. Late, say, late 20s. Really? Yeah, I was saying yeah. late. I would say like late 20s. Yeah. Late. late uh, yeah. Late 20s. I I don't I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me. I basically he's got you a don't know faces, like he's got a killer hairline. Names. No uh no gray spots anywhere. Like come on. I yeah, I guess I really I, I mean I'm yeah, wow, I don't know. I don't know. I still I'm just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say here. Oh my god, you've admitted that you're wrong. That's you're, a, that's one recorded. That's first. <laughs> you you yeah, were going. I'll, 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 I'll have Quinn edit this out. Don't worry. You were going good for a little bit, and then you got to the age. The like I, you started mentioning I, the exact age you thought he was, and it's like, oh, that's, really feels that's older to me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I'm this completely fucking off. But he just feels older to me. I I don't know. I'm I'm completely off. Yeah. But he felt he felt older for the role. Fine, fuck it. It's not even a problem. The movie well, is not. To be fair, I I, I would say that both of them kind of feel old for the role. I, but I will say, yeah, they do. Yeah. I will say that there's another movie from this past year that features Fred Hampton. And in that movie, the guy playing him does look younger than Kluwa. What movie? Charlie, Chicago 7. Oh, you told me about that one as well. <laughs> yeah, but he's, yeah, what? Did you see that one? Daddy? Oh, no, no. It was because um, when, I, I think maybe it was when they were going over the text, they said something about like, or no, I think it was when I was like reading up about it, they were saying that seven people got arrested after the raid. And I was like, wait, seven people? Chicago seven. Was that no, about no. that? But then it wasn't. <laughs> no, 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 it's not, it's not about that. It's yeah. About it. <laughs> yeah, I realized. And uh, it was like one person was um was it Bobby Seal? Was it the person? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Sasha Barry Cohen in, in this movie? Yep. Sasha Baron Cohen's yeah. gonna get nominated for best supporting actor for the movie, yeah. Wow, okay. We gotta get around to this one as well. That's the other one I told you that we can put for trial movies. Yeah, yeah, we'll try to. We're gonna try. We're gonna try and do as many of the Oscar movies as we can. Uh, I'm gonna leave Tyler in charge of getting those weeks out. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. After Fred Hampton's in uh, Trial of Chicago Seven uh, for a short while before in that movie, he's also murdered. I mean, they they don't show the raid, but they say he was murdered. The timeline is completely off in that one, but they just do it for reasons. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it just made me think of Selma. Because <laughs> I kind of did that with Max. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. And then skipped to the church, and he's just like, three weeks ago, Malcolm X was murdered. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I had Where? the exact same thought when, uh, when he said <laughs> well, that. No, no, no. I mean, like, di differently timeline. Because during in the movie, like, they're doing the trial, and then Fred Hampton's doing the tr in the trial, helping the guy, and then he gets murdered. That never happened. He was like, at, he, like the, the death of him happened months later. Right. But, like, yeah, seeing it. Uh, 
that Fred Hampton, he's you don't really hear him speak. You just see him like, uh, like act as a counsel to the guy on trial. And just seeing him there, he's obviously younger. Mm-hmm. The actor's obviously younger. So like, I don't know if that guy could have acted. That was probably a big portion of uh, they were going for. Oh, yeah. Of well, a yeah, guy definitely. could act over the age. So man, he his he um the person they have for. Uh, Fred Hanson in that movie. I just looked it up. He he actually looks quite a lot like, um, Fred Hampton. Yeah, like yeah. I thought, very, it a, I thought it was that. I thought it was good. Yeah, it's very. Looks very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this is very interesting. Interesting. Um, on this note though, I do. I guess uh, I figured this is as good a time as any to talk about uh, Fred Hampton's politics. <laughs> yeah. Um. Wait, before you I'm get into ready that, for this rant. Before you get into that, do you think the movie did it as mu- a good enough job with it? What do you mean? Because that's that was that's a more or less criticism of the movie is that some people think that they didn't go into his politics enough. Well, for me, I think that they did uh, as best as they could because the movie isn't. The movie really, I mean, yes, it's Fred Hatton's in it. It's about him, but it's more about O'Neill and his struggle with Hampton than just yeah. Fred Ham- than just yeah. a Fred Hampton biopic. Yeah. I mean, it and comes in, back down to scope. Yeah, but in the movie, in like the first or one of the first scenes, there's a clip of Fred Hampton and he's describing his politics as being a, we fight capitalism with socialism. Um we fight fire with. I water. forgot what the actual quote was. Yeah. Yeah, it's fire with water. We won't. We're not, we're not, we don't fight fire with fire. We fight fire with water. You don't fight capitalism with black capitalism. You fight capitalism with socialism. Yeah, the, exactly the opposite, Jay Z. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. I. I didn't really have a problem with that. I think again, it does come down to scope. Um, the focus of this film is very much about William O'Neill, right? Like the movie starts with his introduction. Yeah, he is he is our our point of focus on this film. You know, it starts and, and quite literally ends with him. Um, so I'm you know it's not I'm not I wasn't really expecting a Malcolm X movie situation where I'm getting every detail of a Fred Hampton. That's kind of what I was history. expecting. Not gonna lie. Really? Yeah. You expected yeah. a Fred Hampton biopic? Yeah, I expected more Fred Hampton. Mm. I guess I expected kind of cat and mousey. You know, just given what I when I knew I I knew nothing about this movie really going in. Um, so I wasn't sure what aspect they were going to focus on, but then when I read the uh, little synopsis, I think it was I think it was Tati who actually read the synopsis and told me, um, you know, that it was about how O'Neill uh, was with the FBI and infiltrating the organization. Uh, my perspective on it was like, oh, okay, it's it's going to be more of a cat and mouse type of game or something along those lines. And although it wasn't really cat and mouse per se, it was kind of more in that vein than it was a biopic in that it was about this kind of struggle between these two people. And yeah. O'Neill. I, just, I mean, I just thought going into it, it'd be a little more Fred, uh, Fred Hampton Fred focused. Hampton. That's, yeah. fair. That's probably like my biggest knock on the that. movie. That... Yeah. Yeah. Does, I feel that. I, I do think uh, it does a pretty good job of getting his politics across. I don't think like he doesn't, I obviously doesn't go into every detail, but I think it hits a lot of the most important points. It definitely um, captures it. Like it yeah, captures yeah. his politics and it's not like in a way where it's like heavy handed or anything like that, like you understand and that's good yeah. enough. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's not it's not here to give you a master's course in it, but it's here to explain to give you, you know, the shorthand of what you need to know. Yeah, ex- yeah. Pretty much exactly that. Um, so I have no problem 
with how it portrayed the politics. What are, are so what are people saying it, it should have had? Do you know Tyler? Or? Uh, I know no name the rapper who was supposed to be on the soundtrack, but then uh, didn't want to do it after seeing the movie because she thought that more or less her problem with it is that while it did do his basics of his politics correctly, she wanted more of it. She wanted she, like she wanted more of it, and then she like wants. She's like, all right, it's a great movie. Like she agreed it was a great movie, but she wished it was more of Fred. And then she was just saying, look up more of his stuff. Don't just base everything on the movie. Yeah, that like that was my biggest problem with the movie, which is like exactly that. Mm. I really wonder, I guess, kind of what specifically they might have had in mind. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like that that kind of I'm curious. I'm very curious to see kind of what yeah. they would have. I kind of get it because it's like you have the one scene where you he gets where he has the quote about like being a socialist. You have him doing the free the luncheons and how it helps the community and how he's just building a how he, how he's building a community. Yeah, you you get that, but at the same time, if it was yeah, if it was entirely on Fred, you would get the full picture. I get that. I guess that's what the main criticism is. But at the same time, that movie wouldn't have been made. I mean, like, I, I yeah. Guess what throws me is like, like you said, those things are in the movie. They're those things are established. Maybe not focused on, but certainly established. I think that's the problem is that they wanted that as a focus instead okay. of just the basic. I guess because it almost felt like, at least from the way I was, I was, I was thinking about it, it, almost felt like they were saying something was missing, like certain parts of certain certain aspects <laughs> of his politics were not put in the film. In which case, I kind of want to know what exactly. Yeah, I don't know oh, if boy. I don't know if they are taught. Uh, if No Name or any of the other critic criticisms was saying that there's something particularly missing about it, I think what I'm getting from is that they just wanted more. I don't know if there was okay. like, oh, there's guess... a big piece that they just straight up missed. I think it's just that they want more. I guess so. Because like, I, I mean, think it's our fault, is... though. You think what? I think it's our fault because it literally says Judas and the Black Messiah. It's yeah. not the Black Messiah and Judas. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. again, if you title. make and it, you, you couldn't make if you make a Fred Hampton bi- biopic, it wouldn't be a Fred Hampton biopic because no one would put all the social stuff and no studio would do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also think my biggest problem is watching this movie last after the other two. I and watched go- it. Going in with that expectation of the other two in my mind. Of just oh, biopics? Okay. Yeah. Did you see the trailer? No. Okay. Because Yeah, the trailer does not show it as a biopic. <laughs> yeah, the trailer was definitely one of the things that gave it away as... Or not really gave it away, but I guess um furthered the fact that that's not what this type of movie this movie was trying to be. No. Um. Very. I guess interesting in that way. Uh. Because I mean, as far as accuracy goes, this movie. Did I just steal your whole bo- uh politic thing? No, no, no. I didn't even touch <laughs> on it. <laughs> no, uh, we're, we're still we still anything. Chris is saving like why did you remind himself. Him? Yeah. Why did you remind me? You know, I'm tired. You could have gotten away with it. <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> Um, he chose chaos. <laughs> Tyler woke up today and chose violence. <laughs> um, but um, shit, now I forgot. What I was. Oh yeah, in terms of accuracy, uh, this movie should be pretty much on the level as far as accuracy goes. Um, I, th- I think it, it is pretty much only... everything. I know that everything had to be um, approved by Fred Hampton Jr. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. on set for every day of shooting. Yeah, I know that they they corresponded with the current. Uh, Black Panther Party, as well as members of the family, like um, Fred Hampton's wife. So as, as far as historical accuracy goes, it does seem to be 
like, I mean, I mean, like all three of these movies try their best to be as fa- seems to be seemingly, as far as I know, at least try their best to be as accurate to the to the history as possible. Yeah. And um, this one's no different. You know, so I think in terms of that, that, that's a pretty good sign. The only part that is mightily debatable is, I mean, we didn't say the ending besides Fred. Ham- I mean, we said Fred Fred's ending, Fred's ending, but we didn't say O'Neill's is that he eventually kills himself. Well, the movie says he kills himself and like he does die in real life. That part's kind of debated by his his wife, I think. His wife, yeah. His wife yeah. says it was an accident. His wife, because the way he quote unquote killed himself was uh, drive his car into oncoming traffic more or less, or he got hit by a car. Yeah, he he walked into on uh, in a traffic on a highway, I think. Oh, he walked. I thought he drove. I think he walked. I I don't well, know. Well, if he, well, if he walked, it, well, if he walked, it's not an accident. Yeah, you don't just accidentally walk onto the highway. Yeah, if it, yeah. if I thought it was driving, so like that could be more like disputed, slightly. Look it up, but, just in case. <laughs> according to Wikipedia, it is marked as a suicide. His yeah. death was ruled a suicide by the courts. But, yeah, but um, then his wife well, is disagreeing it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm, not, like, I'm just what I'm trying. I'm, I tried to find it, and it's just like uh, he's. It's just like how do you die? Suicide. It's like I'm. I need the. I need the. Well, I'm sorry. Well, here's but, the like, thing. There's like conjecture in this film. Here's the thing that also yeah. like that leads that everyone thinks that it is suicide is that apparently the same day he tried to kill himself. So. Yeah, he tried jumping yeah. out of like the his Wind. house or something. That's yeah, what his, his uncle window. said. Yeah, so like that leads to it being suicide. Yeah, On the day I mean, that the documentary came out that he was, that was shown in the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I guess in a twisted way that really does. Uh, yeah, he know. jumped out in front of a car. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, it, it does. It does a really good job. I, well, I, I shouldn't say it does a really good job. It definitely nails down the the Judas parallel in a pretty twisted way. Um, for those people here who are not not religious or who've never we're not raised religious, I should say. Um, I mean, even whole, even those raised religious don't really know. True. Listen, I was I was raised religious and read that book repeatedly. Uh, I just there are also different religions, Chris. <laughs> Yo, okay. Yeah. yeah right. We're not raised. <laughs> I, I was getting there before y'all kept cutting me off, all right? I'll block For those who weren't uh, raised Christian or, or Catholic or any of the other subsects, um, the whole thing was that Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, overcome by guilt, he hanged himself. Mm. Um, it's a pretty straight parallel, and it kind of matches this one point for point. Yeah. Changed 30 pieces of silver for a nice suit and a steak and uh, hanging for jumping in front of a car. Well, so did he? I mean, he got paid a, a gas station. You got a gas station at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, you got a gas station. Same thing. I mean, it's the same thing. It's 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 money and suicide. I mean, apparently the it, movie it was also supposed to be well. called uh, Thirty Pieces of Silver. So really, no. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be. Fucking title actually as well. well this is well, also granted, a great nobody. Title. Well, nobody would have fucking known what it's about. I would have known <laughs> what it was about. I would have understood it immediately. What I mean, it matters, Tyler. Well, no, no, yeah, okay, fine, but. <laughs> But I mean, if the movie was called Thirty Pieces of Silver and it's obviously the same uh, synopsis, you wouldn't have got like people would have had to read the synopsis before going into the movie. Yeah. You see Judas in the Black Messiah. It's like, oh, I let me let me like you, you, the title catches you. Yeah. Thirty Pieces of Silver sounds like a great Reservoir Dogs type movie, like a heist. Yeah, it seems like a heist movie. Rat. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a great title. Someone needs to use somewhere. Someone go make Thirty Pieces of Silver, and don't make it a western. <laughs> Western. Um, what was I going to say as well? Oh yeah, Fred Hampton's politics. I find his politics to be incredibly interesting. 
Um, between the three figures we're talking about uh, today, Fred Hampton is definitely the one that uh, I, I I agree with the most, right? Like Malcolm X, uh, a lot of his stuff, especially his earlier stuff, leaned towards an, ethos, an ethnostate um, and also was riddled with colorism and uh, sexism and, you yeah. know, very heavily problematic. That was the Nation of Islam talking. That there. was the Nation of Islam. Yeah, yeah. it was deeply problematic. It was a massive ethos state. It, you know, it was, it was it was really it was not good. Ethos ethos states in any in any context. Ethno? Right? Do you mean ethno? Ethno. Thank you. Ethno states. I almost made a fool out of myself. Ethno you did like three times. You, you said it like three times. <laughs> ethno states in any context, um, generally pretty bad news, historically speaking. Um, Martin Luther King was. Uh, you know, he was a very peaceful approach, and because of that, it's been a much more of an uphill battle, let's say, right? Uh, Fred Hampton believed a lot of things. He, he won. He believed that if people want equality and real rights, that you have to fight for them. There's no one's going to hand it to you on a silver platter because you pick it for it. And most interestingly, and uh, I, think that, I think that I definitely find most interesting about his politics as a whole, he did not see this simply as a race problem, as a racial issue. He yeah. saw this very much as a class issue. He mm-hmm. created the Rainbow Coalition, uniting what was it, the young, the young, young brothers. Uh, uh, it was like, uh, like the, the young, young patriots and, and the, the young lords. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he brought he brought together African Americans, white people, and Puerto Ricans into a massive coalition for change. Um, when re- and historically, those three groups were pretty much at each other's throats for about a for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but you know, he the way he saw it, all of these groups were the disenfranchised. All of these groups were the people who were being stepped on and abused by people above him. He said, um, "What if the slave and the overseer worked together to uh, to slit the master's throat?" That's the way he saw it. It wasn't just any one group. It was that they were all the disenfranchised. They were all the people being kept down by someone on top, by by the by the government, by the pigs, by yeah, by everyone else. Um, and that is a very different take than we really see in a lot of other civil rights leaders. Uh, I mean, like Martin Luther King was a socialist, but socialism was, was never the foremost part of his movement. His foremost part of his movement was, was right. It was um, equal rights, was civil rights. Yeah. For Fred Hampton, the foremost part of his movement was socialism. That was, that was the spearhead. Everything was focused and built around that idea, around, around class. Um, maybe not, a, well, I guess erasure of class is a bit of a stretch, but you know what, you understand what I'm saying here. It was all focused around that. You know, that was the centerpiece of his movement. And that is just a drastically different piece to play in comparison to pretty much everything else that was going on before and even after, you know? I, I would say, and, and the fact that he was able to succeed in this, the fact that he was able to to convince these groups of people, yeah, who show them still the are like probably you know deeply racist. Who are yeah, the white people very much did not like when a black man walked into their church to tell them that you know they're being force fed bullshit. Probably not, but he yeah. went in there and he succeeded in telling them that you know what you guys have been have been pitted against us by the people ahead and they've made they've made you believe that we are the root of all your problems to keep you stupid and docile and to keep you pointed at us when in reality if we work together we can actually bring change that can help both of us yeah um and that's fucking huge and i really don't think that there's really ever been anything like that before or since i don't think anything's really ever touched on that i don't Mm -hmm. think yeah i mean that's like to me that's the most impressive thing i mean you all know me um 
you all know my rants outside of the podcast. Just tear it all down. Tear, <laughs> tear it all down. And most importantly, I have also said that a lot of things, uh, I feel like a lot of things are very heavily related to class issues. Um, and I, I guess it's just interesting seeing that idea there and executed on so well. And to think about maybe what could have been if he hadn't been put into prison and the Black Panthers hadn't taken that step back. And then if he hadn't been killed so young and, and the organization kind of, changed so drastically because i mean if you look at it the the rainbow coalition did not ever dissolve it's changed under um reverend jesse jackson and became a much more moderate organization compared to the uh, left-leaning one that it was when uh, fred hampton was in charge um and it's just it's, it's just deeply interesting to try and think about maybe shit what could someone like him have done in another 20 years what could someone have done in another 40 years i mean he'd be what he would be He'd be 80 now. He'd be really, he'd be, he might he'd be, be much very older old. now. Yeah. He'd be very old now. But at the, at the turn of the century, you know, at the turn, you know, in the early 2000s, he would have only been 60. Yeah. You can do a lot of, I mean, how, how long was, um, oh my God, what's his, um, the man who, the one who worked, the man who marched with, um, Martin Luther King John passed Lewis. away. Yeah. He was, he was marching until, until literally like last year. Until he died. Until he died. Until yeah. he died, he was marching and he was well into his 80s at that point. The things that Fred Hampton could have accomplished with his capabilities and his intelligence and his ability to, to genuinely create unity around a common enemy. Um, yeah, it's what the he biggest could have done, what if. The, the, the biggest yeah. what if I could ever think of is what he could have done. You know, and clearly the government saw it. They did it. In the film, they explicitly say it. And we can pretty damn sure, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, extract that information from history the fact that they saw him as probably one of the largest national security threats in the country as the biggest uh vessel for change that there might have ever been and uh i don't know i just find i, I just find him to be deep a deeply interesting figure and it just to be i guess just so depressing to think about what could have been yeah 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 that's just my little rant it wasn't a real big one just just something i find interesting no, no, I agree. I, it was a good rant. Thank you. Thank you very much. It, it's one I got along with. Not like the Moana one. You know what? <laughs> always going to come back to that. I, always I come back. think if you guys really think about it, you'll understand the value of one. I don't think I really... so. Tati, did you hear you. that rant? I subbed you since that episode. <laughs> yeah, she, she skipped over that one, and I think okay. she skipped over Puppets. Uh, I, I don't blame I, for that I, one. This, this, no, this Puppets was a gem. Puppets, puppets was a good is episode. very fun. That was a good episode. Bad, bad pieces of content, except for um. Thunder. Oh wait, I forgot to mention, uh, Chris. You know what uh, what people call uh, Jesse Plemons? What people call what? Jesse Plemons. They call him Matt Damon. We're gonna have a problem, Tyler. They didn't call him Matt Damon. <laughs> what do they call him? Fat Damon. God damn it! <laughs> Piece of shit. Uh, what? Did you not like that one? No, Tyler. No. Do you I know didn't. the other nickname? I don't want to know the other nickname because I swear to God, if it ends in Damon, we're gonna have a real big problem here, Tyler. <laughs> Meth Damon. God damn it. Meth Damon. <laughs> there is no peace. There is this no is peace. actually why it's a social distance podcast, just so that you guys don't fight. <laughs> just so I can't hurt him any. It's nah, like... they never fight each other. I, I, Chris I... doesn't throw hands unless he's drunk. <laughs> that, that is then true. he wants to wrestle everybody. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> or I, just, I mean, I'll just carry Tyler off. That's, what so you that's why that happens. <laughs> every every yeah. time I've seen Tyler, I just, just sling him over my shoulder. <laughs> and I, but I, I, you know, I would throw something at him. I would throw something at him because this infuriates me with that goddamn Matt Damon bit every Matt time. Damon. 
I'm so happy we haven't seen him in a movie now. I can't believe I'm saying this. I hope Matt Damon doesn't work for a while. I hope he takes a break. <laughs> I hope he takes a nice long break so I don't have to hear about this goddamn meme anymore. But it's okay. You know why? <laughs> because we have the other Damon. We have Fat Damon. <laughs> Are there any other thoughts on Black History Month? Or is um, the white man going to hijack this for himself? Damn. <laughs> what, Matt Damon? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to add on to this movie. It was really good. I enjoyed it. I'm still. La- I'm laughing. I wish. They- I wish we could put a video up. I'm just laughing and dancing over here. You still. I. I. Oh. <laughs> I. I will say uh, one thing that I really did like about this film was um, its sensitivity to black murder, um, especially because that's kind of a conversation that it was kind of being had, especially um, you know the past summer, um, where you know, quite frankly. Black people, very tired of seeing Black people dead and being just absolutely tortured to death and all that kind of stuff. So like when they were showing like Emmett Till, it was kind of from a distance and it was on like the newspaper. So it wasn't like too in your face. And um, even with Fred Hampton's death, it was kind of like out of focus and it just focused on his fiance um, at the time. So I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah, I thought it was kind of nice. They did like, show two other deaths that were pretty. Well, no, they didn't show the one death, which was the kid in the hospital being dragged away to another room, which he obviously. Yeah, they, they didn't show that one. Yeah. They showed the. Uh, was Jimmy the hospital one or the, who was the other guy? Jimmy, Jimmy was the hospital one. Um, I forgot the other guy's name. Who, who was Jake? Jimmy's friend? Jake. Yeah. Yeah, he was Jimmy's friend and basically went on a suicide by cop ending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was two deaths that we did. No, we didn't. I'm sorry. That was just Jamie getting shot in the, in the convenience store. I'm sorry. Yeah, he got shot, but he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. He, he didn't, didn't die. The hospital. Yeah. yeah. We see yeah. Uh, uh, Jake get shot up. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty good time. I mean, that's a fantastic sequence overall. Definitely an intense one. Yeah. Um, I do also want to say that I love, I love the music for this. It is pretty perfect for what it's trying to do. Yeah. A I lot think... of it, it, it sets up atmosphere and, it's, and a lot of times it sets up tension in a really good way. I think um, I liked effective. it. I remember in, in two distinct parts, the beginning or more or less the, okay, three parts I remember. It's the beginning in the first scene where he gets, where O'Neill is dropping a car. The other time where Hampton is meeting the Puerto Ricans. Is it the Puerto Ricans? You mean the crowns? Is that not the Puerto Rican one? No, no, no. No, no the crowns were another, the yeah. Was gang. A, that was the South Side gang. Oh, okay, so then yeah, the the wait, what you said? Crowns. Yeah. The, the music in those two scenes and uh, in the scene where before the last supper scene where O'Neill gets the sleeping powder from the pimp. Yeah. I feel like there's also another scene that I really liked where um I can't remember exactly what it was but it was when uh uh William um O'Neill is worried he's going to be he's been caught as the snitch and he's trying to cover it up. Yeah. And the the music starts ramping up kind of as like a at a heartbeat style rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. like speeding up with the intensity of the scene and it's just a great way of increasing tension, you know. I mean it's just, it's always a very simple way but I love when I love when movies do that. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the music, I think because of that, the soundtrack's just incredibly effective, just super good. 
I just want to say that uh, the way that O'Neill acted, he would have a hundred percent been yeah. Claude yeah. Nelson's snitch. Like he was a <laughs> terrible this guy, this guy actor. Is, this guy is sweating and shaking in his boots, and he's suddenly getting really angry after being really quiet and then really quiet again. It's like I don't know. I think that's because that's a fucking narc. Oh, side note: This movie is basically a small Get Out reunion. Mm. Yeah, between Lakeith, <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya, and uh, Ray Ray uh, Howley, I think is his name, the pimp. Yeah, huh. which honestly, I think that scene was a little bit weird. I'm not gonna lie. Really? Yeah, How the pimp so? scene. I just thought it was a little bit weird. I don't know. It didn't. I didn't feel like it truly fit. It was like fine. It just didn't. I just didn't feel like fit. I I I have opinions about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to share those opinions with us? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. No, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I got. I, I found nothing wrong on that one. Uh, I think that scene actually works pretty fantastic, pretty great. The yeah. FBI has people all over the place. You know, O'Neill is not the only black person that the FBI has on their payroll. Yeah, you and know? then I mean, the, that was obvious, though. Yeah, I mean, with the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. I do like, yeah. Yeah. I do like the ending of that of him get like show me a badge and he just and he gives him his own badge. Yeah, I do. I, I agree with that. I do agree with that. That was excellent. Yeah, this the whole bar thing was just very weird for me. Mm. Okay, interesting. Wrong, but interesting. Um, Thank on you. That... <laughs> uh, another thing we actually have written down here is um, this is probably the only movie that does not use any uh, any slurs. They have um, the cops have racial jokes, but I don't think it's jokes, but no slur. Yeah, it's it's actually quite it's surprisingly um, I guess like with the with the subject matter at hand, uh, I guess it's almost to be expected, especially you know we see it in Selma, we see it in Malcolm X. Did Selma um, use it the most? Yeah, I think it. Did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely so did. Despite having a significantly shorter runtime, it uh, they definitely had Roth just going. Not even, I mean, even without <laughs> using <laughs> the N word, like. They still said some pretty like horrible things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It just, it I just, think they didn't use like that. They actively avoided it. But yeah, like they did a great job of like not using it and still getting their point across. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great way to sum this whole movie up. It's it's a great job. It did a great <laughs> job in pretty much everything it was trying to do. Um, I truly think it's fantastic. I think that this is a a, a on a technical level. Uh, pretty much flawless and a performance level pretty much flawless and um, you know for me I, it might just be because of, of how much I, I enjoy Fred Hampton as a historical figure uh, for me it hit pretty much just every right note uh, that I, I wanted this movie to hit when I saw the trailer yeah I will say that between all three of them like we mentioned that Denzel was nominated but lost uh and then uh, David uh, wasn't even nominated. Don't know if he actually would win, but he should have been nominated. I mean, it's it's it, like just a shame that he didn't even get nominated. Yeah, yeah. I that, mean, I still say between the three, he is the best performance. Here. I still say that clear. I don't. know. I felt like I was watching like actual Martin Luther King. Yeah, same, yeah. Same, exact same it's, feeling it's I had. Really here. good iteration. David. Mm. David is kind of fucking brilliant. But anyway, as for Kaluuya in this year, since the nominations aren't out, he should be nominated. And uh, the 
only competition that I'm pretty sure is either Sasha Baron Cohen or one of the co-star co uh, no not co uh, supporting in Minari. But I haven't seen Minari. Clearly, is better than Sasha Baron Cohen. So I would say my money. I want Clearly to win. I hope he wins. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I I definitely want to see more of the Oscar movies before I make any hard judgments on on what because I think this is like quite literally one of the very few I've seen so far. Um, I mean, hey, Charlie Chicago Seven is free on YouTube for another day. Oh, really? It's on YouTube. I thought it was on Netflix. It is, but they put it on YouTube for forty eight oh, hours. I have Netflix. It's fine. Yeah, I thought, like <laughs> I like I like they did <laughs> that. Like, the oh, end you, of the world. <laughs> I like it. They did that. It's like, oh, if you don't have Netflix, do this. And I'm thinking. You don't Who doesn't have Netflix? have Netflix. It's like really, really. It's like, if it was on like Hulu or Amazon, I get it. But yeah. like everyone has Netflix. Everyone, everyone knows someone who has Netflix. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Not everyone has. But I mean, it, it's but not... everyone knows one guy. Yeah. But yeah, well, it's nice that they put honest. it up. <laughs> to be to be fair, uh, Valentine's Day just passed, and some people like to break up <laughs> before yeah. Valentine's Day. <laughs> They're capitalizing. They're being real clever with it. They're going after a very particular. That's demographic. very true. <laughs> Very particular demographic with it. Interesting. Um, is there anything else you guys want to say about this movie? Aside from the fact that it's great. No, I don't yeah. think so. No, good. So uh, on that note, I think it is time to uh, do our rankings. And I, I have a feeling that a lot of ours are going to be pretty similar with just some 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 changes in the top. So let's start it off with uh, a three. Who wants to go first? Malcolm. Malcolm X. Yeah, Malcolm X. I'm going to be the weird one. What are you going to say? I mean, it's not Judas. <laughs> <laughs> Your opinion's wrong, Tyler. That's all I'll say. I'll, I'll say that uh, I, I'm basing this off of, uh, like, it was hard to pick between the two, but I'm basing it off, I like, it ended up being what would I rather see again? And I would probably, even though it's long as hell. Like, I would not sit through it again. Well, <laughs> yeah. here's, like, here's the thing when I decide, like most of the time I don't purposely watch movies again. Like I don't pick out a movie to see it again if I haven't seen it. Not counting anything for the podcast because that's like, I, I want to yeah. look at it. For the most part, it's if I see it on TV where I stop scrolling. That's how I'm looking at it. If I pass by Selma or Malcolm X on TV, I would stop at Malcolm X, even if it's halfway through, even if it's at the beginning, even if it's at the end. Tyler being this this old man with cable, it's just interesting. Yeah, situation. I mean, I mean, who still scrolls through TV? Tyler, TV. you keep using this reference, but like, when was the last time you actually flipped through the channels? <laughs> Two days ago. He he likes his cable. goddammit. it, he he pays hey, his hey, optimum. Hey. He sits down with it. Hey, sometimes I would it, like he's to have Verizon family. Chris, come on. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Bad. Yeah, his actually. dad works for Verizon. Does he? Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that, and I've known you for God knows how many years. Well over, I think over ten. Probably, but That's yeah, not like time. that. Yeah, sometimes I like the randomization of what's on TV instead of picking and choosing like an episode. Interesting. 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 I mean, I I think for me personally. Uh, I think that Malcolm X just has a myriad of technical issues, and I think that just hurts the film for me a lot. Whereas, yeah, it's Selma, for me. Selma has really good moments of intensity as well as really good performances that I think just kind of take hold, keep it above it, keep it above it. Hmm. Well, see, you didn't like most of the first hour. I like Delroy Lindo as with uh, West Indian Archie, who we yeah, barely right. touched. We, we on. want, we meant to talk about that when we came <laughs> back. <laughs> we never yeah. did. But like, I I like that whole aspect. I liked him. In that movie and in Defy Blood, so fair enough. 
Fair enough. Two. Not no. Two. Yeah. Selma. Wait, what? Tyler, Tyler, you said Malcolm. You just said. Wait, no, no. Okay, no. Sorry, I got really confused. I got really. Yeah, I didn't Um, fuck that up because no, you didn't uh, technically say Selma last time. You just so it just kind of all of it just threw me. Yeah. I'm gonna go Judas and the Black Messiah. Wow. Yeah, I'm going Judas as well. Mm. Uh, I see we have some Judases in our midst. Uh, number one. That's a That's little. <laughs> uh, number one for me, Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas. Selma. Wow. Even split. <laughs> even split. I don't know. Like Selma just got more of a like reaction. Yeah. For me. It was just such an emotional impact. Great. Like, Chris, undeniable. Chris, if it makes you feel better, if we do ranked voting, Judas is number one. <laughs> yeah, you're technically right. Because I had Selma last. It's still. <laughs> <laughs> I had time. I brought it down. <laughs> this feels like a, a seed from Lord of the Rings. I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with Tyler. That just reminded me of the fucking musk meme. It's <laughs> a good meme. Oh man, I Daddy hate Musk it. is taking us to the moon. What the fuck? <laughs> I want. I wish. I hope that some. You know what? I want. I'm gonna go for the plot. I'm going to go back to this episode of the podcast and I'm just going to clip Tyler saying Daddy Musk is going to take us to the moon. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to have that as my text ring. Tone. It's a good thing I talk fast because I definitely got the the fuck in there way too fast for you to cut properly. <laughs> oh, no, you don't worry about it, Tyler. I'm meticulous. I'll take my time. Um, yeah, I'm going to make that my ringtone for every time he texts me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You still use ringtones? Who's old now? That is, you use yeah, cable. What? You use cable, Tyler. What the fuck? Do you, what do you, do you just not like, do you just like vibrate, I mean, man? Like, like making your own ringtone? That's like, <laughs> yeah, no, you, that's so like, I just got a, my first flip phone. Yeah, you still got, yeah, you're or still, like, I just yeah. got a Blackberry and I'm gonna go to the store and buy ringtones. You know what? Fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the nostalgia I want. <laughs> you, know what? you know what? And that's the binge. That's the binge. I'm calling it right here. <laughs> Tyler, start plugging. <laughs> Um, if uh, I'm trying to think of a ringtone joke, but I got nothing. Uh, go review us. Go review us on whatever you're listening <laughs> to us. Five stars, please. This is our longest episode, both in terms of recording and of actual content. Tell us if you liked it. Go see Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, definitely do that. Uh, um, call Tyler an old man on Twitter. Sure, <laughs> sure, do that. <laughs> Uh, what else we got? Uh, share share the podcast, please. If you like it, tell your yeah. friends yeah, about never, it. Follow never, us on Apple Music. Follow us on Spotify. Stitcher. Um, all the other things YouTube. that we're on. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a link tree that we have now. I don't know where you can find it, but it's I, out there. So I'll 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 look in, I'll I'll figure that yeah. one out. Yeah, at Tyler's. Tyler, put it in exactly your Twitter Twitter bio so people think you have an OnlyFans. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Sell your body now. <laughs> yeah, sell your body for the podcast. That's Tyler. my private account, man. How'd you know about that? <laughs> oh, God. That's a horrible mental image. All right. I think we better call it here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going a little crazy right yeah. now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, two, it's two to three o'clock in the morning for us here. So uh, we're just going to. Yeah, we'll see baby. you guys next well, week. Well, yeah, follow, follow, and we'll see you guys next week. Subscribe to Tyler's OnlyFans. Um, At Tyler Zucker. What are we doing next week? <laughs> Oh yeah, join us here next week where we're going to be talking about uh, some some mixed media uh, live 
Tom and Jerry's coming out. We're going to be talking about Tom and Jerry. Just, just we'll <laughs> Nothing see you, next you week. said worked well. We'll see you next week <laughs> see for guys. Tom and Jerry. Adios. Bye.